Everybody, welcome back to the Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that usually covers every single horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. This being October, we're doing something a little different. Where Jerry, some guests, and myself, we are doing our staff picks right now. So so far, we have covered Fade to Black, we have covered Never Hike Alone, and Never Hike in the Snow, uh, and we have covered the WNUF Halloween special. Uh, but this month we have a Halloween themed movie to bring you into the tail end of the spooky season. We have the 2018 slasher movie Hellfest, and this movie was chosen. Actually, before we even do that, Jerry, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm such a huge fan of this movie, and and I was thinking about it leading up this week, leading up to this episode. I was thinking about how this particular kind of subgenre of horror has quickly become one of my favorites yeah like uh, they're i mean they're they're great ones there's like okay ones there's ones that aren't that great but for some reason i will watch any of them any day of the week like this one haunt uh, i am a extremity i am a sucker for them i am yeah they're great so yeah for sure so this movie i think it was on our short list but this movie was brought to us by our guest this week he is the Editor-in-Chief of Daily Grindhouse, we have Mr. John Abrams. How you doing, guys? Happy October. <laughs> Happy October. As you can tell from the part we had to edit out, I feel like a space cadet tonight. So, um, Right there with you. <laughs> yeah, so this is going to be very trippy. Let's see how we do. You know what else is weird is babies. Babies are just weird. Babies, yeah. They're wrinkled. They look like potatoes. They smell, but everyone thinks they're adorable. Oh, they don't get you high. <laughs> if babies never got any older, you know, people would would buy them and sell them as pets. You know, like they're just uh, <laughs> pet baby. If they just oh, stayed God. that age, you know, they just they just cry and and look cute and poop. It's the same as my dog, really. Oh man, oh, man. I love this episode already. <laughs> this episode is quite the trip. So, John, um, I've not taken it. any shrooms, by the way. This is That's me, okay. uh, stone sober. Yeah, so. I've had milk. That's pretty much as I am high on milk right now. Two percent, two percent. So maybe a little bit too much fat content. I'm lactose intolerant. So (laughs) that would be a whole different kind of adventure. As you you were saying, yeah. (laughs) What made you bring Hellfest to uh, to the table? Well, I, I feel like this is a movie that, like, I, I know you guys are aware of it. And, um, you know, we're all, uh, you know, quote unquote, hard Twitter and all that. And so I do see this movie come up from time to time. But um, I, I just kind of I actually saw I went to the theaters to see it uh, mm-hmm. when it came out and I was the only one in the theater. It didn't do that great, but um, I thought it was really for you know for a slasher movie which isn't necessarily even my genre but i i just really dug it and um all the reviews that i kind of dug up on it are are kind of rotten and right. 
you know, just like dismissive. And I just think there's so much more to recommend this movie than that. Mm -hmm. So I just was excited to talk about it. It's one of those things that, and that's kind of our whole thing at Daily Grindhouse. Like we like to kind of talk about stuff that we like that, Mm -hmm. you know, people may or may not have heard of before. And this is one of those things where I just think like, especially this time of year. Yeah. Um, And it's funny because it got a wide release It played at a ton of theaters, but uh, David Gordon Green's Halloween 2018 came out. I want to say like two weeks after this movie was released. And that movie just kind of like, it sucked all the air out of everything around it. Basically like there was nothing that came out around that movie that especially for horror fans, like, everyone's energy was focused on that movie and you know rightfully so like i really enjoy his take on on halloween although like the more i watch it the more i tend to like pick at it a little bit Mm -hmm. um and this one just kind of really flew under the radar um what's a bummer about that is i mean it made back three times its budget but this Mm -hmm. movie had the potential to spawn a franchise in my opinion yeah that though just re-watching it like i just i see all the the possibilities you know Mm -hmm. just sends sends the mind like imagining in a lot of different ways but yeah i mean it didn't it didn't have stars i mean i guess if you say it's directed by the editor of get out and it's like from a producer of the walking dead even Mm -hmm. though you know we all know who she is but like um uh you know it's that kind of thing where it's i guess it's hard to get like you know, the average Joe on the street, you right. know, the quote unquote normal people to come out to see it. Well, you have Gail Hurd who produced Terminator, Terminator right. 2, Aliens. Like she has a long and fruitful partnership with James yep. Cameron. Um, that is one of the things that like jumped out at me is like the level of um, behind the scenes talent that worked. They had Bear McCready coming off of yep. Battlestar Galactica and the doing this uh, score work in this mm-hmm. Tony Todd, like member of horror mm-hmm. royalty, you know, um, coming in for a little bit and, yeah. you know, no one seems to really care in 2018 and really like, cause this is the time of year where everybody does start sharing like their staff picks or here's, you know, like some of the under the radar, um, horror stuff you should check out if you're tired of the same old, same old. Mm-hmm. And I never see anybody mention this movie. No doesn't come up that i mean i see it like i said i see it here and there but really not mm-hmm. not to the level that it should be mm-hmm. um but there's yeah i mean there's 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 you know it's like a world of a world of lists like what are your you know top five like halloween time movies and mm-hmm. it just seems like a, a straight up natural right and, and you have like, those lists where someone yeah. write, like just like put John Carpenter's Halloween four times and then <laughs> right, right, Halloween, right. Halloween three. <laughs> well, trick, so or, <laughs> trick or treat, trick or treat always shows up on there. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have controversial opinions about that movie. <laughs> Ooh, share them. What is uh, I just I'm, I don't I don't I don't uh, I'm not with everybody else on it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't um, I think it's like a movie. I'm, I'm, I can I can hear people raging at me like even as I speak, but um, it's like it, it doesn't it never made sense to me. It's kind of this thing where you know it's about supposedly centered on these rules of Halloween, but mm-hmm. they're not really established. And um, there's fun things about it. Obviously, yeah. I like the little pumpkin kid. I love that that whole sequence with Brian Cox, but mm-hmm. the rest of it is kind of um, I don't know. But 
But but I will say that the guy's next two movies, Krampus, I loved, and uh, his Godzilla movie, I loved. So mm-hmm. like I, yeah. I feel like I I redeem myself a little with my yeah. being underwhelmed with Trick or Treat. Like it's that Trick or Treat is one of those movies that I want to so bad. I want to love it as much as everybody else I know loves it, but I just mm-hmm. I can't get there. So, so I guess it's not that. I'm going to say for our listeners, like if you want to hear my thoughts on Trick or Treat. Yeah. Go to the Psychoanalysis podcast <laughs> where it is releasing Thursday the 28th. It'll be the episode that we have coming out for our comfort horror series. And that's all <laughs> I will say because we need those downloads. And right. go over there and wherever you get your podcast, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast. <laughs> I do have a review somewhere buried on Daily Grindhouse of Trick or Treat, mm-hmm. but I kind of pray that people no never find it, it because we'll link just to gonna, it in the notes we'll link to I'm, it in our notes no i'm totally gonna i'm totally gonna get canceled for that but you know i guess there are worse things to be canceled for mm-hmm. so. there right. certainly are worse things to be canceled for. <laughs> I, um, I think though like with hellfest for me the the fact that it ever ended up getting made is mm-hmm. impressive because yeah. i mean it you know anyone that knows the history of this movie mm-hmm. like it went through so many hands right from the beginning you know, like all the way far back as like 2011, you know, Neil Marshall was supposed to direct mm-hmm. this movie, mm-hmm. which was like a huge deal. It was announced in the trades. You know, Neil Marshall is going to kickstart this new franchise having to deal with mm-hmm. like haunted stuff, you know, like or haunted attractions kind of thing. You know, Gail and Heard producing, you know, and then you get like it chapter one and two's Gary Doberman, you know, doing a rewrite, mm-hmm. you know, and then Marshall exits and then jennifer lynch jumps on board which is such an interesting choice you know would have been such a different movie (laughs) oh yeah in 2011 like marshall would have been coming off of like doing the blackwater episode of game of thrones which at Mm -hmm. that point would have been considered like probably the highlight of the show maybe eclipsed by the red wedding but like he you know showed just you know obviously horror fans know Neil Marshall from The Descent, as well as Dog Soldiers. Um, But, you know, at that point, he would have been, by the mainstream audience, known maybe for his work on Game of Thrones and what he had brought uh, to the table with that Blackwater episode. But yeah, Jennifer Lynch, who had done Chained and who has gone Mm -hmm. on to do like a lot of TV work, like The Walking Dead, Dead. um, Channel Zero, Psych. Um, she's walked across like a number of different genres and uh, it's especially for someone who took like a decade and a half off of of filming after her debut film boxing helena got really unfairly savaged um at the Mm -hmm. box by both critics and and uh viewers alike um she's like i don't need this and took 15 years off before returning behind the camera well yeah sorry Mm -hmm. No, I was just going to say, do you ever see that movie Surveillance that she made with... Uh, oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, it's an I interesting have, movie. I always, yeah. That's another one that people never... I, I haven't seen that. I did see Chained, which I mm. thought was a really good... Like, that was an interesting kind of... Uh, I don't want to call it torture porn, but it was like definitely like an interesting take on like the being held captive right. yeah. genre. Like, I thought, you know, she had a really interesting point of view, and, and I kind of really... Everything I've seen, I've really dug... I, well, so what's what's cool about surveillance is that it's basically different people trying to piece together this crime that happened. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. get to see kind of the same thing from multiple perspectives. And every perspective is shot differently 
very differently than yeah. the, the previous one. So you see multiple perspectives in different types of, of filming. It's such yeah. an interesting, I mean, if Lynch had done Hellfest, I think it would have been such a different movie. And that's mm-hmm. when oh, Seth, yeah. Sher- that's when Seth Sherwood came on board too, during the Lynch era, mm-hmm. you know, like Sherwood, you know, he's kind of put over the grinder a lot for like, you know, writing Leatherface, which I honestly, I will defend till the end. I love that movie, <laughs> you know, like that and, you know, some other stuff, but, you know, go like, you know, I, I know Seth as a, as a friend and I, I remember ta- him talking, Seth talking to me about the project, you know, when Jennifer Lynch was on board and it sounded like such a crazy movie. Like, I mean, the, the end result was great too. You know, I'm a huge fan of this movie, but that version when Jennifer Lynch was on board, it sounded so different, you know? Mm-hmm. And like after she exited, you know, Gregory Plotkin, who was known, you know, mostly as an editor for different things. He edited Get Out and other things. And he directed uh, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension, which is, a, which is another like often maligned movie that I really enjoy. You know, like it's all three of those directors that were the attached or, you know, on the project at different times have such very different styles that like it's interesting to think of the three different versions of this movie that could have been mm-hmm. yeah and sherwood has done like i'm looking over his resume right now and like pro- i don't know if best known might be the right thing but like probably his most prominent um thing he's done is he's a writer on that uh young adult horror on hulu light as a feather which is actually a pretty creepy little show it gets really dark uh, in some places, like more than one would expect for something that was geared towards a younger audience. And he's credited as a writer on like 13 of the episodes, as well as like four teleplays for it. So, well, that and like his unproduced scripts that are have been either in production or are in production that people haven't seen are some of the best screenplays I've ever mm-hmm. read, to be honest. Like, there's a road trip one that, like, even while you're reading the script, he includes like a soundtrack to listen to basically mm-hmm. like he knows his way through horror. And I, I think all of the shit that he got with Leatherface, like th- those early drafts that he did before a lot of it was reshot was a very different movie yeah. than what came out. Like yeah. Yeah. the love, the love that went into the script for Leatherface is just unparalleled. Like he well, knew that series so well. Yeah. I always, I always hate it when pe- like when people, um, you know, um, especially online, you know, hone in on a writer that they decide to hate. And it's like, well, you, you actually never read the script. You saw the finished movie. Like, those are two extremely different things. And it's just like, you know, I, I, for a movie to get made in the first place, a lot of times the script has to be pretty darn good, you know, and right. all kinds yeah. of stuff can go wrong in between the script being finished and you know the movie being made and released and all that and so um yeah i, I never like it when like writers get you know bashed that, for- oh totally totally it's, that it's, and um, like it's not fair by the, you know? <laughs> yeah by the time this movie's made it had gone through five or six writers you know like mm-hmm. it's it like we're yeah. lucky this movie came out like even watchable let alone yeah. very entertaining because it is it's such yeah, a super fun watchable. movie oh yeah it's a huge <laughs> difference in the mediums of television versus cinema, like how writers get treated. Because usually mm-hmm. what will happen is like whatever the script is, like the director is going to do his own rewrite and have his own vision for it. Where in television, like writers are, you talk about the writer's room and mm-hmm. 
whether it's like sitcoms with like Jeg, uh, Greg Daniels and Michael Schur, whether it's like Joss Whedon when he had done drama, whether it's like Aaron Sorkin, like no one ever really talks about television directors, but right. they talk about TV writers in a way yeah. that um, doesn't really happen in cinema unless you're like a Paul Schrader. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's it's easy for people to like, you know, it says written by. So you're like, OK, well, that's a person I'm going to mm-hmm. blame if this movie doesn't mm-hmm. uh, totally come together. But it's like so many th- for, for a good for a movie to be good. So many people have to do their job right. Mm-hmm. Like it's just um, it's a it really is like a miracle that yeah. <laughs> anything yeah. turns out like you said, anything turns out like watchable, yeah. let alone yeah. like great. So mm-hmm. So oh. this this was like Jerry, you would like you had mentioned, it was originally envisioned as potentially kicking off like a whole franchise. They, <laughs> you know, the producers saw this as like this could be the next Saw, which had wound down by this point when it was first conceived in 2011, or it could be like the next Paranormal Activity, which every October was just like here's mm-hmm. a million dollar movie that is going to make anywhere from like sixty to eighty million dollars. Um, and you just saw like insane return on investments with that movie. So they're like, we could be the next thing to do that. And you can see it because you could easily envision three, four or five of these movies, all of them set in a horror theme park with a vastly different theme to it overall. Mm-hmm. Like just, yeah, this one kind of had that almost like what I would call like a Bayou, like New Orleans feel to it overall. Mm-hmm. And you could see it going in um, a much different direction, but yeah. still a very entertaining one in future installments. <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say also, uh, one of the things about this film that really stands out to me, and I think also maybe was a reason why it didn't do as well as it could have been, is I, you know, during this time that it came out, just like fun horror really wasn't that big of a thing. You know, right. like, like movies like Fun House, you know, the Toby Hooper film or, or stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's just fun to watch. You know, it's not trying to be ele- in anything like I hate, yeah. the, you know, the words were like elevated Elevate, kind of yeah. shit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like that or it's not like go for the throat. Like the kills are fun and they're gory and stuff. But this movie's all about having fun with it. Right. You know, and I think that that's maybe where it missed its mark with viewers is that they mm-hmm. wanted something a little more uh, a little closer to what we got with Haunt, which I always thought which I think is a really good flip side to this movie. Like if you want a good double feature, like haunt, uh, haunt themed double feature, mm-hmm. I think Hellfest would be great for that really fun horror movie. And haunt is kind of like the same thing, but like a, a lot darker and, and more haunt serious. Is a hard watch for me. <laughs> it's a hard watch. I've because you don't like it or, or no, it's I, um, I think saying I don't like it might be a little bit too harsh, but I think there uh-huh. are elements to it. I have a hard time with horror where there's like no chance of escape. Hmm. If that makes sense. Where there's like someone is completely like incapacitated. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the th- reasons like I just won't watch Wolf Creek. Um, okay. I get it. Yeah, like totally. the, so, and it's a good, like, you know, the, um, I love the creature design of the, um, haunt actors in it overall and I just have like a lot of trouble it's like one of the would-be heroes of the movie is like an abusive boyfriend who's a complete mm-hmm. asshole and like now I'm supposed to root for this dude for a little bit like things like that put me off of it 
Um, but to your point, like it is a really good flip side to it and it is worth watching. I don't mean to completely discredit it. I'm just saying, you know, my own, own thoughts on it because like some of the set pieces in that are, are pretty fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I could, I could see what you, you mean with that. I mean, Wolf Creek, I think the, the older I get Wolf Creek's like harder for me to watch too. Mm-hmm. Like I, I watched it. I showed my wife Wolf Creek for the first time, like a month or two ago. And I kind of forgot like how heavy that movie was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty So heavy. like when, you know, the whole like stabbing into the spinal cord and like the, awful rape shit like mm-hmm. fuck man the older i get i just cannot do that stuff yeah like when that when that came up i was just looking over at my wife like so uncomfortable like wow sorry wow. about that my, my sensibilities have changed over the years mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about other movies though that are in this vein because it, it feels like since maybe 2010 or, or maybe a little bit thereafter there have been like a ton of really cool haunt and haunt theme attraction films so Maybe the best known of them for the modern ones would be the Hell House trilogy, which was picked oh, yeah. up by Shudder. Um, that mm-hmm. made its debut at Telluride Horror Show with us, I want to say in 2014 or 15. Um, and it's gone on to be like a trilogy of films. You know, that is in the found footage vein or a recreated document documentary where you have a haunt attraction. It's haunted by like a ghost or demons. Um the houses at October built um, parts one and two, where I think the first one is outstanding. Um, and the second one feels more like a pilot for like a travelogue show. Um, <laughs> and I don't, I, you know, it does sound disparaging, but it does feel like um, they were shooting a bunch of footage saying, look, we could actually go and do this for a living. Um, put us on like the travel channel or, um, you know, like, a and E, and we can visit all these haunts. That's what it felt like, where compared to the first. But what are some of the other ones? Like Jerry, you mentioned hot haunts. What are some of the other ones that have really hit in the past few years? Because again, I love this subgenre of horror. I, I think Extremity was another one that a lot mm-hmm. of people liked. Like it, 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 like I enjoyed it, but it was a little. I mean, kind of like what you mentioned with Haunt. It, I mm-hmm. think Extremely Extremity was a little heavy tough for me to watch. Mm-hmm. Like I, I liked it, but yeah, it kind of take the extreme haunt aspects a, a little, you know, like no. it, it took it out there. So, I mean, that's another one. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Uh, Anthony de Blasi did it. Yeah. He, he did the last shift. I like, I really like that. Yeah. Oh know. yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 <laughs> that's and cool. I'm trying to think like was terrifier one as well with like art, the clown. I'm trying to think of that just takes place in a decrepit warehouse or <laughs> part of it is supposed to be like a haunted attraction. I can't remember. Well, um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's haunt, there's Hellfest, there's the houses, October built, there's extremity, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to go back to the old school days, I mean, there's fun house, mm-hmm. you know, and even like, I hated Texas chainsaw 3d, like with a passion. Yeah. But like yeah. that carnival, that carnival scene had the potential to be like so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. True. You yeah. know, like I, I just think like it's a perfect setting. Whether it's a carnival, whether it's like a, a haunt, whether it's kind of like a Knott's Berry Farm or like mm-hmm. a Magic Mountain kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's it's a perfect it's a a perfect example of what you can do to make just like fun horror again. And yeah. you know, I, I I hate to keep beating that fun horror drum on this, but like you don't get films like this very often and that's no. i think that's why yeah. what bummed me out so much about it not doing that well mm-hmm. is because i would kill to see a franchise on mm-hmm. this like the the possibilities yeah. are endless especially with the really cool ending you know like yeah. 
yeah. you never quite see the guy. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I just like to, to to hammer home that that point you keep making about it being fun. It's like this, the, just for the setting alone, um, it's just fun. Like, it's this kind of movie where you want to go to that park, even though you know the premise. You know, obviously, you wouldn't want to go there with that guy running around. But it's just like, and it's so. Um, I forget the uh, cinematographer's name, but it just like the movie looks so good to me. Like just like the lighting. Um, in the various mm-hmm. like set pieces, it just looks like such a fun, like park to visit. And um, from from like top to bottom, it's just really uh, visually um, just an inviting movie. And um, and there's always something happening, like with the just the setting. There's always some freak in a a mask or you know clown with machetes or whatever running by, and it's. You know, it's never it's never boring, and it's short. It's a short film. You know, it's like less than an hour and a half long. It's it's just it's tight. Like, yeah, we really don't get that that much. I mean, I I love horror. That's obviously trying to say something about the world we live in and all that. But there's something to be said. And and quite frankly, like it, it's it's not even that this movie doesn't quite do that. Like, if you like, once we find out about the killer, you know, when with that final reveal like mm-hmm. um that this could be you know this this premise could happen um and um and what's this guy's motivation like it's it's kind of freaky to think about so they're kind of you know there is a little bit of a, a you know um something hinting at larger issues but obviously it's not like a, a heavy kind of midsummer <laughs> kind of no it's just not Ari Aster being like you know <laughs> two month wait to get to see a therapist so i'm just gonna <laughs> make another movie i guess and just get it all of my mummy issues out on well screen. that and it's a it's, i think hellfest to me is a really good throwback to the 80s slashers mm-hmm. that i love kind of pre-scream where after scream and and i'm not saying this uh, anything negative about scream at all actually uh, but after scream every horror fan was so hung up on these rules that scream declared mm-hmm. like right a little too much like you can't do this you can't do that these characters are cliche and all this stuff but in the 80s we knew these characters were cliche but they were fun to watch and that's why i right. love the friday 13th movies and that's why mm-hmm. i love so many other movies from that era like with hellfest it was a return to that we have mm-hmm. the kind of like you know a little more promiscuous best friend mm-hmm. in hellfest we have uh bex taylor klaus which is an actor i mean i i just love everything they're in mm-hmm. you know as the kind of like somewhat annoying sidekick you know friend that kind of clashes with the with with the lead protagonist but not we have too the, much so not too much at all we have the kind of like uh, you know hopeful paramour that just wants to be with the main girl but it's a little too awkward to make it mm-hmm, you know right. these are like these are like archetypes and cliches that don't feel like they don't feel annoying to me like i like watching these people yes. be kind of those cliches from the 80s that i i loved that yeah. was one of my mental yeah. notes was i liked spending time with the six these six characters and i think really far too often and i'm making friday the 13th part five to me is the delineation point and maybe really to be more fair because jason lives is a lot of fun a new blood would be the delineation point where a lot of horror movies went 
we don't really care about the characters. Everyone is just there to see mm-hmm. them killed. Why not make them as annoying as possible? <laughs> um, which eliminates to me a lot of the fun aspect where like, I really liked watching the six of them. And like, like you would said, like Bex Taylor Klaus, um, who's a little bit showy. She's a bit over the top and she's definitely taking digs at like Amy fourth sets, like lead character of Natalie. Like you can tell there's some tension there. But it's like a natural tension. It's not forced. Um, it's not something where it's over the top. And they're like these like enemies that hate one another. Like why would where yeah. you get to a point which like the Friday the Thirteenth remake is a good example. Why would anybody want to go to the cabin with that dude? Everybody, right. <laughs> everybody hates him. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, I think I found her probably more annoying than it sounds like either you guys did. Mm-hmm. But at the same time in the scene where she is in danger of her life. Like yep. I, it's, I, it's not like I'm like, Oh, she's so annoying. I want to see her killed. Mm-hmm. I still like at that moment when I saw the pain that she was in, I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I want her to make it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think Klaus is really good at playing that character. Like yeah. anything that they're in, like screen the series. Like I liked that more than most people I know. Mm-hmm. Like I, I loved that. Show. I mm-hmm. loved that first season so much mm-hmm. that uh, Klaus was really good in the, that show, The Killing. You know, like I, I, I think while it might come off annoying to some people, I feel like having that care kind of character in this film really helps. You know, because yeah. my favorite thing about the Friday Thirteenth films, uh, the first four mostly. You know, I like six a lot too. But my favorite thing is that, like, I care about a lot of these characters. So when they're put in danger, right. I, I give a shit, you yes. know? And even though Klaus's character is kind of, uh, you know, I guess, quote, unquote, annoying, like like you said, John, like, yeah. you know, you weren't wishing for their death when they were about to get it. Like, you wanted them to get out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think, like, horror is at its strongest when it's, you know, empathy. I mean, obviously, the, the first Halloween, it's like I, I found, you know... Um, uh, you know, your mileage may vary as to how annoying you find the other girls outside of Jamie Lee Curtis. But, you know, again, it's, not, you know, you, you remember that these are like teenage girls. So you don't want to see them like killed by a, you know, six foot tall maniac. Um, mm-hmm. um, I think like horror, even slasher films, which are like, you know, often derided by the establishment or whatever, you know, if you can, if you can care about these characters, it's like, it's so the, the, the empathy is intense. Yeah. Um, that, one, and one example I, I, from I'm this going. movie. Yeah. One example from this movie, I would say like Amy Forsythe's character, Natalie, like the lead in this movie, mm-hmm. she's like the college girl that returns home for the long weekend. She's a little bit frumpy, but not overly so. And yeah. she, her best friend is Brooke. Um, Mm-hmm. And they have this real bond with one another. But she, Natalie is the character who's like not 100% on board with going to this haunt. And I think in most lesser written movies, she would be like a wet blanket. And right. she'd be like, I'm not going in this. and This is stupid. And she would complain all the time. To give you an example from real world for me, like years ago, my wife and I did like a, a trip up to Maine with another couple. And we each picked an activity to do on a Saturday night. I picked like an outdoor haunted house you could walk through. And they picked going to like a fancy restaurant and wine bar. Uh, Um, So we did the haunted house first. And the woman who we went with, like, just basically tromped through it as quick, like head down, 
hands in her pockets, like, let's just get through this. And it kind of like ruined the experience. You're kind of mm -hmm. like, this is not fun because you're being a, a pill over it. Um, and Natalie in this movie, she's like, eh, I'm a little heavy. You know what? Fuck it. Let's just do it. And she <laughs> has a good time up until the point where she's like harassed in the bathroom. And then it's like, right. and her friends are like, you know what? Okay. You were really good. You know what? It is time to go. This is a bit too much for you now. Like they understand. Um, mm -hmm. but she's like game to do almost anything and she doesn't complain about it. She's not like the whole time. This is dumb. I hate this. Why are we doing? She's like, yeah, it's a bit scary, but you know what? Let's give it a whirl. That to mm -hmm. me is like a much more relatable in a kind of a character I want to root for. And I'm sorry, Jerry, I know you were jumping in there too. So. Oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. I, I was going to uh, kind of say the same thing that you were saying, actually, like the potential for the character of, of Natalie and how fast, like that character had the potential to come off, like you said, a wet blanket. I, I think the biggest example for me, and you know, I, I haven't kept track of if people really love this movie or not, but like for me, the thing that takes me out of Friday the 13th Part 3, like I, I like it, it's good, but the thing that takes me out is that I just do not like Chris at all. Yeah. Like I, I just. For, that's the my least favorite character like Shelly is more likable in my opinion than that film's lead you know like and I, I think the character in this one had the potential to that but like like you're saying she's pretty much game for whatever in front of her even though she's a little bit reluctant to do that you know what I mean and I, I think what's so cool about this is you get these kind of arch archetypal characters but at the same time their deaths are so brutal mm. in this movie that yep. it hits you like a ton of bricks when it happens. Sure. Like, it's not just a quick knife in the back and it moves on. You know, there's some, Let's, like, really good slasher yeah. kills in this. And the, and the other thing, like, I wanted to, like, the, the fun thing about this movie is, like, there are conventions with the slasher, you know, genre, and, like, we all kind of know the formula. And this movie does tweak them in enough, like, unexpected ways, like... Um, you know, Brooke played by Rain Edwards, you know, she's the the only um, black character in the cast and she is the first one to get separated from the group. You remember when, uh, you know, the, 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 the photos from the photo booth are mm -hmm. stolen by the, the, the killer and she chases after him and she finds herself alone and like you're completely expecting that she's going to be the first one to go because of that convention and this movie obviously upends that. And, um, you know, without, you know, going into spoilers, like just we can spoil it. I, I, you know, anyone oh. who's listening to our show uh, <laughs> knows that we're just going like, to throw the hell out of movies. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, two final girls. I mean, that's yeah, like, yeah. when do you see that? You never see that. I mean, mm -hmm. almost never. And that's like, you know, it's kind of novel and it's fun. It's kind of like, well, I, I like both these girls. I want them both to live. Why? Why not? Like, it's. I, I just really love that about this movie. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get that ending and then you get the, the final uh, scene where you find out, you know, you get one more like really pleasing scene to me. Although when I was going back and looking at like the online uh, trail of this movie, like apparently there's like a whole article about all the people on Twitter who didn't get the ending, like they were confused by it. I don't understand how that's confusing. It's pretty I don't, straightforward. Believe me, I don't either, but I was fascinated by it. There's like, the, again, apparently there was enough people that they wrote somebody, I think it was Mashable or something. They wrote mm -hmm. an article about how people don't understand the ending of 
Hellfest. It is like uh it's so for those who haven't seen it, we're gonna spoil the ending for you right Sorry. now. <laughs> Sorry about that. But the ending of the film is the at the end of the movie, your two lead um women get away, Natalie and Brooke. Like they are rescued by the police. I, one thing I want to say also about the like I wrote about this on Daily Grindhouse really briefly. Like we do a thing at the end of the year where we give out our, our awards and we always have best mask in our movie. Mm-hmm. And I chose this movie that year because the mask in this film is so to me, I <laughs> I mean, not to offend the filmmakers, but it's so boring. Like it's mm-hmm. so nondescript. It's brown. It's like, uh, you know, kind of featureless. Um, it's it's it looks kind of wooden. It's kind of like the 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 Loki mask from uh, the mask or whatever you know that Jim Carrey finds. I guess it's, it's like just a melted kind of, turd. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of drab, and I just think that's brilliant because mm-hmm. I don't know if that was their intention, but um, it was it's brilliant because you have a movie where everyone in the movie they're they're at an amu- a haunted amusement park where everybody has like the most interesting like awesome mask, like a, a, a zombie surgeon and, you know, whatever, like a hundred different things. And the one guy that doesn't want to stand out is this killer. And so he chooses like the least descriptive, the least like flamboyant mask. With and a it's black brilliant. hoodie. With yeah, like a so black hoodie yeah. pulled over. He's walking it's, around in this dull brown mask, you know, in a hoodie. And yeah, he's walking mm-hmm. around and you never, you always see him from the back. You never see him. You, you don't know who he is. He could be anybody. Mm-hmm. And then the final scene, um, the killer uh, gets home and he enters a house and takes off his mask. He's still seen from the back. And there's a little girl who's fallen asleep on the couch. And he walks up to the little girl and she looks up and sees him and she says, Daddy. And she runs to hug him and he hugs her. Right. And then and it's a warm, it's a oh, warm that. moment. Like, Jake, did you bring me something? And he's giving her this like <laughs> right. little yeah. like black and orange like doll, doll. puppet. Yeah. Um, it's a warm moment and it's almost like a, I mean, to me, like when I watch it again tonight for the show, I was thinking like, almost like the purge where you have like mm-hmm. this 24 hours, like this one day a year where you get all of your violent impulses out. And then the mm-hmm. rest of the year, you just kind of go about your day and kind of get through the world the best you can. And I know like as a counselor, you know, one of the things, especially with children that we do is we work on like safe ways to channel our aggression out. So, you know, we set up stations where kids can beat the crap out of pillows or mattresses or um, things they can like punching bags for a lot of kids or just like, all right, you can go in this room right now and you can like scream as loud as you want until you're mm-hmm. hoarse and then <laughs> usually feel better after. Um, this obviously going to a haunted theme park and randomly selecting victims to murder would be a more extreme (laughs) version of that kind of therapy. But I mean, that would be, that's kind of what it recalled to me. Well, I mean, it's, it's terrifying too, because Mm -hmm. if you really think about it, this is a normal person on the surface that Mm -hmm. goes to this amusement park, waits in line, like everyone else Mm -hmm. buys a ticket, (laughs) goes in, and steals a mask that is the same mask that most of the employees wear. Like, it was so easy just to infiltrate this area and not be detected. 
And I think that adds to the charm because, you know, as much as I think Halloween is the best film ever made, you see a Michael, you see a Michael Myers mask. You're like, okay, it's Michael Myers. Jason, Jason's mask is so iconic. It's Jason. I think how boring this mask is works so well for the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's It's perfect. It reminded me a little bit of a dirtied up version of the mask from that movie, Valentine from the mm, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. A little bit like that. Like if you really kind of like dirtied it up and kind of like gouged at it and spray painted over it. Um, but much more to your point, John, like a lot more nondescript. And I think the yeah. other, one of the great head fakes of this movie is that scene where uh, Natalie comes out of like the tunnel yeah, on her own. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the quote unquote killer is like sitting in front of her on the little ride. And then like 10 of them come out and you realize like, oh, there's a bunch of these. Like what a brilliant way to kind of just blend in. And, and um, another thing I forgot to say about the conventions is like there, there was a, you know, there was a point in, in this movie where that scene happened, you know, she was stuck, you know, in the, the, the little uh, tram conveyor or whatever, mm-hmm. and she couldn't get the bar up and she sees the killer coming. And I really thought that she could die. Like she was the lead, you know? And like, I thought this movie could, and it easily could have gone that way. And I thought that was like a really great scene, but yeah, I think like, um, I guess the killer like had some kind of forethought because like you said, there were other people in the park with that mask. Mm -hmm. And I think if I'm not mistaken in that final scene, you see, he has a little collection of, Mm -hmm. of masks. And I think, I think in the opening scene that was supposed to have been a different park and he wore a different mask. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I guess like. Yeah, they make mention of a um, different incident like three years prior. Yeah. I think on the radio as he's driving home, um, that kind of like alludes to you know what had happened because you have to imagine like what if it was the same park and you have like killings every year because when he right. opens up the when he opens up his little um, lockbox, there's like a half dozen different yeah. masks in there along with like different trophies that he mm-hmm. had taken, which is a really and- and some of those masks are like cooler than the, than yeah. this one that we see through Absolutely. the whole thing. <laughs> like that's even that's even funnier. It's like it's, yeah, well, you could have had this through the whole thing, but this is better. Yeah. It's almost like the the reveal at the end of Creep, uh, the Mark Duplass film, uh-huh. where you see just like shelves filled with these videotapes. <laughs> you just realize just how long he's actually been pulling this kind of. Uh, well, I, I love I love those two movies. We'll yeah, definitely yeah. cover those at some point. Yeah. Um, My favorite so, thing that guy's ever done, for sure. Oh, yeah. And he said a lot of, uh, maybe the league. <laughs> I really like him in the league. So it's... Um, so, well, well, that um, and like what <laughs> one of the things about this movie that I, I just love and it's so just demented for me is the character of Quinn. Mm-hmm. You know, it, he's this like nice guy that maybe tries a oh, little boy. too hard, but it's very yeah. awkward. And he's, he's so into the lead. You know, like he's the guy that tries to win her like stuffed animals, you know, gets defensive after, you know, the, the killer steals their photo booth photo and all this stuff that you want. This oh, the guy sweet to come guy. Out. Yeah. yeah, you want or, or, or not Quinn. I mean, Gavin, I'm sorry. Gavin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You want Gavin to succeed in this. You want him yeah. to get the girl and stuff. And you kind of think that he's being set up as that character, you uh-huh. know, to come out ahead. But then he just gets his like head crushed with oh, like God. a mallet yeah. 
<laughs> I thought he was kind of like David Naughton-y, you know, from uh, American World yeah. of London. Yeah. And, well, yeah, he's like a very likable guy. And you're kind of like, there's no reason this guy couldn't have taken over as the as the lead if it were a different mm-hmm. movie. And like, that's another way it plays with your expectations. It's like, yeah, yeah, that is a pretty brutal. And they show it, too, like just for a split second. But right. it's enough. <laughs> and it's not just that. It's not just like the head getting smashed like a watermelon um, with that oversized gavel, but or the hammer, but like the getting the butt end of that in the throat and like having the wind completely yeah, knocked yeah. out of you. And then just like being completely helpless because you can't catch your breath. And you see in the way that whole scene is set up where he's like slowly backing up and he ends up backing his head yeah, right on so the spot where yeah. if you were doing the strongman game for those that remember like test yeah. your strength where you take the huge hammer and smash it his head ends like up right where you're going to hit that it's just so well paced and executed it's really really mm-hmm. well done yeah i mean like it's like editing is one of those things it's like um you don't notice it until it's you know bad mm-hmm. but this is so I mean, this is a this is a rare case where like this movie, you know, obviously like the director is an editor and the mm-hmm. it's just so everything is so well paced and, you know, you see everything exactly what you're supposed to see, um, uh, you know, when you're supposed to see it. It's it's very like smartly like composed. You have a, a sense of like geography of, of mm-hmm. the locations and, um, you know, it's just really efficient. Like I really yeah, I think yeah. it's a strong. It's a, those, those reviews are crazy, man. The... Yeah, yeah. That and like, I love how sometimes that even as a viewer, even though we've seen a hundred thousand movies like this, you know, because we have to watch a lot of these <laughs> yes. movies for work, <laughs> yeah. even though we've seen so many goddamn <laughs> movies, like there's moments in this one that still shock me. You yeah. expect the camera to cut away before the character of Asher gets stabbed in the eyeball. Yes. Like yes. you, you expect yes. a cut, and the fact that it doesn't give you a cut, I forget every single time that mm-hmm. I revisit this movie that it doesn't yeah. cut away. Yeah, so no, I'll just goes, be watching. Yeah. yeah, I'll be watching <laughs> it, and every single time I'll just be like, "Holy shit!" Like yeah. my kids watched it. Like I think last year for the oh, first really? time. Oh my god! It, it was so great just to like stare at my my son and my daughter. While they were watching it, knowing that it wasn't going to cut away, like no. the deaths in this, I, they're so good. Yeah, they're pretty brutal. And it, yeah, the, look, before that scream is that's that scream stuck with me. That I rewatched the movie yeah. for the to do this, and yeah, his scream is pretty good. Let's break down what I think would be like the highlight set piece death of the movie, the kill scene of the movie, which is Bex Taylor Kloss's character of Taylor um, getting. <laughs> You, you want to say the guillotine treatment, but it's not quite that because I think that's to your point, John, you had said how this movie like really leans into the tropes of a slasher movie. And it leans like, I think it's like goes into it very aware saying anyone watching Hellfest, this is not their first slasher movie. It's right. not their 10th slasher movie. Right. It's probably their 100th one. <laughs> um, and it really leans in. So let's break that scene down because I think that the way it executes the tension there and the how it plays out is just so well done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, well, I'll, I'll, you do it. Yeah, I'll go for it. 
basically, oh, I can't wait to edit this episode. Right? Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Basically, like, you know, Taylor's kind of, you think, kind of kidnapped to be, you know, chosen to be a part of this kind of, like, uh, stage show kind of thing. And uh, before before I get into that, uh, I mean, we, we have to comment on how iconic Tony Todd's yeah. voice is in this film. Because, you know, scene, yeah. he's kind of the host of everything going on. And plus his voice is kind of on the whole theme park. So it sets up this really ominous mood. So but Taylor is taken to be a part, like a, a, a participant in this <laughs> fake guillotine uh, uh, kind of gag for the crowd. Yeah. She volunteers. You know, and, yeah. She's excited. She loves the, yeah. the whole class. Yeah, character volunteers. They put, they put them in, in the thing to get the fake head cut off. But as a viewer, we're kind of led to believe that, you know, she's about to get their head cut off, you know, for real. So it's just kind of like tight, like tight rope, you know, wire act for us to where we're watching it and we're thinking like, holy shit, this is really going to happen. Yep. And it, it just nicks the character's neck a little bit to where it's kind of like a fake out on us. You know, uh, the character yes. gets uh, gets away. We think that they're in the clear, and then yeah. she gets killed anyways. You know, she, like she it's runs really, out. Yeah, it's it's a and really it's, cool segment that just it plays for an extended amount of time, but it never drags. You're kept on the edge the entire time. Another another cool aspect of that is she runs out into the into the you know park among all the people walking around, and they all think it's part of the show. Which is like earlier, she was in that position where mm-hmm. she was watching someone else, and she's like, "Eh, it's just fake or whatever," and laughing it off. And so then she gets. Uh, slashed and stabbed and killed and then without any like real ceremony the um uh brooks boyfriend runs in and he just gets slapped like that's it mm-hmm. you know like there's no like big build up to his death it's just nope. like you know, now that's it and now we're like moving towards the end of the movie already like it's right. really mm-hmm. you know another another movie might have like been like oh we have we can do we have another we have still have three more characters after um uh uh what's her name taylor gets killed like mm-hmm. let's do another set piece but this movie is like gotcha you know yep. bam bam to kill kill and then let's you know let's go into the home stretch i think that's pretty cool and i also yeah absolutely and i also love after that scene plays out and you run you have your two characters that are trying to escape and they run into one of the haunted attractions and it kind of like pulls the curtain back a little bit and shows like, here's how these things work. And like, here's how things yeah. are triggered in there. And that sets up like some nice bits of tension, especially when um, the character of Brooke like gets a bit like immobilized and she can't help but trigger all of the haunted uh, all the set pieces so it kind of cues the killer into like here's exactly where she is because she keeps triggering things revealing yeah. her location it's really well done that um, and it fools it fools us because when the killer kind of corners the character brooke mm-hmm. as a viewer you're thinking yeah she's definitely gonna die right yeah, now exactly and the moment the moment that that all of us being the the arrogant assholes that we are because we've seen <laughs> a million of these movies right. the moment we're expecting it the lead character Natalie jumps out and stabs the bad guy, you know, yeah. like it leads to like this ending that you don't see coming, not just mm-hmm, the, the bad guy getting home to his daughter and stuff. But I mean, like you said earlier, the fact that like these two women make it out 
you know, you got two heroines that make it out. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's what I love so much about this movie. Yeah. Uh, is that it kind of flips the script on like female characters, you know, mm-hmm. like somewhat like needing a man to come save the yes. day. Right. They exactly. don't. Yeah, they the don't. guys and, are useless. Though, <laughs> though, you know, though I got a lot of shit for liking the new Black Christmas, because I understand a lot of people don't. That was really? one of the things <laughs> that was one of the things that a lot of people gave me shit about that like but the reason that i liked that one is that it was kind of cool to see a movie like that that just proudly said we don't need anyone saving us we could fucking mm-hmm. do it on our own yeah you know and right. I, I think hellfest like is another one of those movies that it's cool to see that yeah. i'd like to yeah. see more of that yeah what me hit, too i'm with you <laughs> what hit for me at the end of the movie was the fact that you do have the two best friends that are still um still alive and they're able to console one another because one of the tragedies of the final girl character trope is she's managed to save herself but her whole support network and like essentially the people that she's going to need to rely on to recover from this trauma they've all been killed like she can never save anyone but herself so i like that in a movie where you see um more than one character survive which is yeah. part of the reason i love scream so much that's um, that's a, yeah that's awesome observation sorry mm-hmm. keep going no it's all right <laughs> yeah. um you know i i've said this elsewhere but i know that like nev campbell's coming back for scream five and there's like speculation like well will they kill her off in this one for me like this is how i would use nev campbell and scream five it would open with her in the drew barrymore role she would tuck her children into bed. She'd read them a story. She'd pour herself a glass of wine, go on the front porch, pick up a book, start reading. And then it would smash cut to scream five and it's all <laughs> new characters. Because right. she has earned her. Yeah. Like you don't need it to be, she doesn't need to fight again. Like just let her have a nice, pleasant. <laughs> that's that's but, a great, yeah. Because like if we if we are honest, and we really love these characters, these final girl characters, we should want that for them. Mm-hmm. Like we shouldn't want them to be like traumatized and um, you know, like uh, uh, Sally or what's her name? I got him blanking at the end Sally of Texas, Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Or like we should want them to like be able to go on and have some kind of a life. Like yeah. we, if we really, if we really love Laurie Strode as much as we say, that we do like we shouldn't want her to be like the you know the survivor list we mm-hmm. should want her to be able to like make it work with her daughter and her granddaughter right. that's i mean then that's a great i mean if you really like push your imagination like 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 you're doing like that's mm-hmm. like that's what you kind of like it's terrible that they've had this traumatic experience and you know brooke lost her boyfriend mm-hmm. and 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 um uh main girl lost uh, the guy that you know she likes and 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 that's all terrible but they still have each other to lean on and like that's what we should want for them and that's that's yeah. like this movie kind of gives us a little of that and it's you know i yeah. mean it's kind of it is a yeah, little yeah <laughs> sorry there's no 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 it's okay there's yeah, no yeah. there's no coming <laughs> if you're sally from texas chainsaw massacre there's no coming back from that yeah yeah and yeah, I mean that's just such a like <laughs> she goes so far into the inferno in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't imagine well, it ever coming. There out. There was another one that I saw online. I can't remember who said it, or I would definitely credit them about the Scream Five thing, to where you know Nev Campbell would be somewhere and they would call her and say something else has happened in Woodsboro, and she would just be like, "Nope," and hangs nope, up. Nope, and that's it. Nope, <laughs> nope, not going. Nope, that's okay. Right. Not going back. 
Yeah, you know what? Yeah, it's like I'll I'll follow you on Twitter and you can let me know on your timeline like how it goes. All right, I'll, I'll send money to your Venmo. Yeah, <laughs> you can go fund you me. Can, you can you can TikTok it for me and I'll keep up with it that way. Be... No, but like, you know, you're you're right though. I I think that that's what bothered me as a kid so many different times. You go through these whole journeys with these characters, you know, whether it's like Rachel in Halloween four whether it's Alice in the first Friday 13th, you go through like all these journeys of them working as hard as they can to survive. And when Rachel just gets ni- a knife to the neck or not knife, scissors to the neck in Halloween five, you're like, what the fuck? That the, all that was for nothing. Or Alice mm-hmm. at the beginning of Friday two, you're like, Oh, okay. Right. You know, Jamie, like I- Jamie Lloyd in Halloween six. See, I, oh my fucking God. Sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Dude, don't start me on that. But like that is that, or like Lori at the beginning of Resurrection. Right. It's like, what? We went through all of that with this character yeah. for this. Yeah. And I love that Hellfest doesn't do that. It lets these characters get away. You know, there's no like, there's no like additional scene where the character shows up at their house. No. They're just gone. You know, right. they, they made it out. You know, and and like from here on out, they have to deal with the aftermath of this. Mm-hmm. So it's cool to see a slasher movie where you don't get like the extremely, you don't you don't get like there's no need to tack on some ending where they just oops they didn't make it out. You know, right. how do yeah. you feel this movie does in terms of capturing like the aesthetic and feel of the Halloween season? I think it's perfect. Because one yeah. of my favorite things to do during the Halloween season when we're not in a pandemic and thousands of people are dying, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite things to do, like, I love going to like haunted attractions. Mm-hmm. I, I love, you know, like, oh, yeah. I love everything about that. Like, that is the Halloween season for me, you know, like decorations, you know, Halloween lights, you know, rides if we can do them. You know, I used to go to the, you know, Universal Horror Nights every year. Mm-hmm. You know, it was such a crucial part of Halloween for so many years for me. That like I this film, like it it's one hundred percent Halloween. I, I do think that there's a difference. I mean, you said this before we started recording, so we could get into that if you want. There, I think there is a difference between movies that feel like Halloween and just straight up horror films. Yeah. So let's let's talk that. <laughs> what to you? And that's exactly where I was heading with that. So what to you, gentlemen? Do you do you even make a distinction between? All right, it's October. Like we obviously we all watch a lot of horror movies. Otherwise, you wouldn't do a horror movie podcast. But do you make a distinction between movies that like capture the feel, the aesthetic, the warm and fuzzies that like Halloween season brings versus like any horror movie will do? And if so, like what goes into that kind of aesthetic decision? Yeah, well, um, from in my for me, um, uh, in the Halloween season, um, more than anything, I tend to go back to the old universal horror movies, yes. mm-hmm. which like um, I, I look at them and kind of um, intellectually, I can do the exercise and be like, I can see why people were scared of this at the time. But obviously we all grew up with these characters like, you know, Frankenberry and like, we don't really find these guys. We don't find these movies scary. We find them like, it's like visiting with old pals and mm-hmm. um so like to me, even though that's that doesn't have the hallmark of like uh, Halloween, you know, there's no like pumpkins or, you know, spider web. Well, there's spider webs in Dracula's mm-hmm. Castle, but um, that's kind of where I go, like the kind of coziness. Um, 
and I, I read a lot during this season too. There's a book mm-hmm. called uh, Dark Harvest by Norman Partridge. Mm-hmm. I read it every year at this time. It's a short book. It's about this, um, this, it's a creature called the pumpkin boy that grows up out of the, uh, the pumpkin patch every year. And, and the young people of the town have to find it and kill it before it kills them. And uh, it's like a cool, like that's the kind of stuff I dig. And um, when I was a kid, obviously like the Disney uh, sleepy hollow, like, yeah, you know, like stuff like that. Like um, Mm -hmm. it's the um, the veterans of sleepy hollow shorts. So much to me, like embodies, like what's great about the spirit of the season. And I watched it with my daughter who got to see it for the first time. Like we watched it last week before she went to bed and she really loved it. Like she really like especially those last five, 10 minutes when they're uh, where it really kicks in. How about you, Jerry? Like what differentiates between a Halloween seasonal movie versus like your run of the mill horror? There are so many movies that I watch all throughout the year that I just love, you know, uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, the exorcist three. I mean, these, these are films that, I mean, Friday 13th, you know, the final chapter, these are movies that I watch at least once or twice a month, Mm -hmm. you know, to the point of my kids, my wife being like, can we fucking watch something else? (laughs) But the films that I, I like to watch during the Halloween season are films that take me back to that magical feeling I had as a kid, you know, those, those boxes, you know, I mentioned this on the WNUF special, the smell of those cardboard boxes and those like Mm -hmm. plastic masks, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, a, t- a time where I could go trick or treating with my friends and not worry about, you know, getting abducted or stuff like that. You know, films like uh, Halloween Four and that opening <laughs> that takes me right back to mm-hmm. that mood. Or, or uh, the Lady in White. That's a movie that I can watch every October if I if I wanted to and never get old. Or it never gets old because it mm-hmm. takes me back to that feeling of growing up being in love with just the Halloween season. I mean, a, a film like Hellfest is another one that I find myself revisiting time and time again, because it has that feeling. It has right. that feeling of, of getting together with your friends or your loved ones, putting on a costume and just going out, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Trick or Treat, I, I think is one of them, but I, I tend to not revisit it as much as a lot of people do. Like, mm-hmm. I, I like it. It's not like a, it's not like a favorite, but you know, it's, it's cool. But yeah, I I think mostly for me, I think Halloween Four and the Lady in White are, are the sure. two that I mean they just fill that in WNUF. I mean I cannot mm-hmm. hype that movie up enough. Those are three movies that just make me feel like it's Halloween. Yeah, I definitely have some aesthetic choices when it comes to Halloween. Like to me, like the treat part of Trick or Treat, treat in the movies is a really big deal to me when it comes to the season. Like I tend to gravitate towards movies that are a little bit more playful in their nature so for me like i'm finally like i haven't watched a lot of vincent price price movies since i was a kid but right now i find myself more and more like i think madhouse is one Mm -hmm. Um, that's good the the monster club is another one i've watched so far like the monster club is just like Price and Carradine riffing on one another like <laughs> two old gentlemen that like absolutely know they are in a lark of a movie and it's ridiculous and silly and having like nothing but the grandest of grand old times where they're like Vincent Price plays a vampire that apologizes to John Carradine after um, biting his neck basically. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I need to survive. It's, it's, it's just wonderful. Um, I... <laughs> tend to like look at anthology movies like so i love trick-or-treat 
but creep show is another one that i gravitate towards this time of year oh yeah. that's good yeah, i'm good thinking one. like the mortuary collection which is now on shutter um, by okay. ryan spindell is going to be another one um john you mentioned ghost story that is one that i am oh renting. that yeah that's a that's good one 1981 yeah uh, yeah with, is it peter fonda am i correct it's like, fred astaire douglas fred astaire. fairbanks mm-hmm. so many people greg was on being a wet blanket <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah, definitely yeah. one that I'm I'm gonna rent. I, I that's one I'm like I eyeballed. I'm like I need to watch this. But something that's a little bit ghostly and supernatural versus like I you know this will be controversial. John Carpenter's Halloween is barely a Halloween movie for me mm-hmm. uh, because there's not a lot about it that really embodies the spirit of the season, unless you know that great you know those Pasadena landscapes that really <laughs> remind you of New England in the fall. Um, but the, I, I, if I stretch it out and think like Michael Myers in his own warped way is playing tricks on everybody. And that's his like weird sense of humor. And maybe he's not fully aware of what he's doing. Um, yeah, uh, no, I, I agree with you hundred yeah, percent. I, I yeah. think that's why I said Halloween four, cause that's the one in the series that just feels like Halloween for me. I agree. I, yeah, for I me, it's Halloween three, but <laughs> yeah, guys. no, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Halloween three is great. The only thing that knocks Halloween three down a peg for me in terms of a, a, a seasonal movie is so much of it takes place in that warehouse. True. And yeah. There's nothing about Santa Mira that screams Halloween season um so but no you're right because that one actually it's probably the first one that really embraces the holiday with the masks and the well well, that's i mean yeah like there's some things that if you see them at the right age like i the more Mm -hmm. i think about it i'm pretty sure i saw halloween three before i saw i I mean certainly before i saw the first one same Um, here and just i was young enough to be a kid that was still going out Mm -hmm. trick-or-treating wearing masks and there is something about like yeah you know, I don't, maybe I wasn't, yeah, like the one year that the idea of that your mask could mm-hmm. be full of like maggots mm-hmm. and worms that start eating your face, mm-hmm. like that's yeah. scary yeah. to a kid, you know? I was, I was looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> I would, and I would I say, know, like, as, <laughs> as a press kid, like I wanted those bugs. It's like different because now, you know, now I'm, now I'm an adult with the sixth sense of humor and I kind of mm-hmm. see why, you know, gore hounds kind of laugh at that. Um, but but when I was a kid, that freaked. I mean, I remember being a kid and being scared of Vincent Price's monologue on the Thriller. Oh you know, yeah, album. like I remember being that young and hearing that. Like I just I love that stuff because like there's a part of me now that's like, how did people ever find Vincent Price scary? Right? But then like I did when I was a kid, so mm-hmm. it's not that hard to imagine, really. When I was a kid, I had a record. And it was one side was an interview with Frankenstein's monster. And the (laughs) other side was an interview with Dracula. And it was like not played for laughs. If I listened to it now, it would probably be pretty funny. But like it scared me so bad that I threw such a meltdown after a nightmare. My dad like threw out the record and like (laughs) took the record player away for like a month because I was so freaked out by the record, like things like that freak me out i actually just subscribed to like sirius because they had some crazy deal on it um only because they have a channel like the spooky sounds channel and it's like it rotates between like classic like horror movie soundtracks and basically like horror um halloween sound effects so Mm -hmm. i'm in my little office at school there are no students (laughs) it's all remote 
Um, and I'm just sitting there like trying to hunt down kids so I can get them on the computer. Like you need to be in your class, dude. Uh, and I have like ghost chains rattling and like windows <laughs> banging and kids are like, what is going on there? I'm like, those are the kids that we've rounded up to not get in class, man. You gotta, like, I'll, I'll log in now, I guess. Um, but things like that, um, you had mentioned the universal, like another universal film, like the old dark house. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect for the Halloween season. Yeah, so totally. I, yeah, I think maybe for the patrons, I'll like cut like a 10 minute, like here's 10 things that really capture the season, you know, um, <laughs> give people their money's worth. That's well, awesome. do we have anything else on Hellfest? Well, I mean, I, I think the last thing that was just actively on my mind is, mm -hmm. you know, something that John mentioned earlier about the editing, you know, having a director that's familiar with editing. I, that was one thing. I mean, just watching the credits of Hellfest the first time, like it stood out to me. Like mm -hmm. this film was directed by someone who also edited it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like knowing, you know, like just being a director, it's hard to kind of get in to the groove and get your vision. And then you have to try to articulate that to so many different people. You know, like I, I just finished uh, scoring a short film a couple days ago and, you know, I would get notes after notes after notes. Mm -hmm. and I make so many different passes at this thing that it, it, it kind of helps me appreciate, you know, uh, collaboration. You know, yeah. and but the fact that like Plotkin not only directed it but edited this film himself speaks volumes on just his knack for knowing how to cut a film. Mm -hmm. I mean, just looking at his like his filmography, and this guy ed not only directed this in Ghost Dimension, but he edited Happy Death Day, Get Out, uh, Paranormal Activity two, three, four, and the Marked Ones. I mean, so many different movies. That he knows how to tell a story, not just from a direct, directorial standpoint, but from an editing standpoint. So when you have someone doing both of those in a film, like I think that that's a big reason that Hellfest really succeeds for me, yeah. is that he knows exactly what tone, he knows what pa mm -hmm. pacing yeah. needs to happen in the film. And I think that it comes off as a very solid, fun slasher film that yeah. deserves more credit than it got initially. Absolutely. You know, I would 100% agree. Yeah. And it, like I said, I mean, just the, um, you know, uh, the thing that would make me uh, able to sell it to fellow horror fans is unfortunately like the spoilers, like um, the fact that you have two final girls, you know, the fact that you have, um, you know, a mask that's uh, completely nondescript to the fact that it, the, the completely scary idea that a suburban dad like could be just, you know, behind all the smiles and lawnmower, you know, uh, every <laughs> Thursday or whatever could be out there just like knifing random teenagers, which makes it even creepier. Um, like all of that stuff. Uh, but you know, that's, that's the joy of the discovery, um, watching it the first time, but, um, it's really rare that especially, you know, I, you guys are, I think even more battle harder and hardened to horror than me. Like, like we've we've all seen so many of these movies like and this one still manages to surprise and that's mm -hmm. that is something special that needs to be like celebrated a little more yeah so i would strongly recommend it like this is a hard recommend i mean, I mean when i mean hard recommend i mean like i too enthusiastic thumbs up it's like perfect for this season please don't have friends over this year for halloween parties but in 2021 <laughs> 
when you're back to having Halloween parties, you know, this is a perfect movie to put on to the Blake, put on yeah. in the background because something is always happening. There's like yeah. no fat yes. on this movie at all. Yes. Um, it's another thing. And to your point, Jerry, about this being like, you can tell that an editor directed this movie. Like there's no fat on this um, whatsoever. So hard recommend definitely catch 2018's Hellfest. It's definitely a movie that deserved. I wonder if it came out after Halloween. Um, the, not this holiday, but the, the, the movie, movie yeah. Halloween. If, it did. Uh, uh, no, sorry. It came out before. It came out, if it, if it sure, came out yeah. like a week or two after it, yeah. if that might have like helped it out a little bit because people would have been like jonesing. And Jerry, I think you had said like this had come out at a time where there weren't fun horror movies. Like everything was tended to be a little bit more grim, which kind of makes sense. I mean, we're two years at that point into the Trump administration and you're seeing art that reflects the times that we live in. Yes. Um, so I think that that might make a lot more sense. It's also, it predates what's really now becoming a bit of a slasher boon again with like Scream 5 is coming out. There's going to be a Hellraiser TV show. Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends are both like in post-production and wait, just waiting for theaters to be opened up again so they can come out. And- <laughs> yeah. Plus DeSantis, yeah. Plus DeSantis, like... like mm-hmm. Friday the 13th fan films like honestly I just really mean like in terms of like theatrical stuff are gearing okay, up yeah, yeah. like slashers again in a really big way and I wonder if like this had come out a couple years later uh, if it would have might fared a little better for like people that were looking for like more original fare at that point I mean you have Candyman that everybody wants probably isn't going to be a straightforward slasher but has its roots in that. Like everybody wants to see mm-hmm. Nia Costas like Candyman right now. Um, <laughs> so I just wonder if we're due for, with number Slash one, if we're due for those again, and number two, what it's going to look like when compared to like the early eighties and mm-hmm. late nineties in terms of the aesthetic and feel and look and tone of those movies. You know, if really quickly, if the slasher boom happens again, like like for real, if, mm-hmm. if it if it leads to that, you know, like we got Feast two and three on DVD, <laughs> we got how many joy rides? We have how many wrong turns? Give me a right. fucking Hellfest two, even sure. if it's straight to Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Like, give me something. Yeah. Have you, Have you guys seen We Summon the Darkness? Yeah, yeah, I love that one. It's, yeah, I did too, but it's just funny because I was just thinking about how Amy Forsyth plays like kind of the same role. Yeah. Of, you know, different circumstances, but it's interesting how they're kind of, you know, she's kind of, she's she's got a shot at that, uh, you know. And she's in, um, she had a problem, again, like the lead role in the second season of Channel Zero. Oh, cool. Um, She's really good in that. And that's one that it takes place in a haunted attraction. Like it revolves around that. Like that is a super freaky season. Yeah. Um, The fourth season is one of my favorite horror things of the past, like 20 years. Is that the one with the um, pretzel jack? The door. I saw the first couple. I need to finish. That was the ones I watched were incredible. I love it. (laughs) I think Candle Cove was the one that just like hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my, especially like if you have like just one brother, 
you know, it, it, like <laughs> I, I have an older brother and like mm-hmm. we were always inseparable growing up. So that first season mm-hmm. of Candle Co- or of Channel Zero really, I mean, yeah. it's such a good show. It yeah, really it's a is. Heart- heartbreaker that it, that, you know, that they didn't continue. Yeah. But but to get four seasons of that, you know, that's something I think yes, all four exactly. on Shutter. So, so John, tell us a little bit about what's going on with Daily Grindhouse. Uh, well, we launched a uh, Patreon uh, recently. So we're trying to, we're really just doing that. I know like Patreon is kind of, um, people have a lot of choices for their Patreon dollar, but uh, we've been doing this site for, um, I don't know, I, you know, I didn't start it. I kind of came on a couple of years into it, but mm-hmm. I've been running it for the past few years. And, uh, you know, it's not a thing where we've, it's always been for the love, you know, uh, we all have day jobs and we do this on the side, but um the owners and I just decided it was time to really do right by our writers and, you know, be nice for, for mm-hmm. me too. Cause I've been doing this for the love for a long time. Mm-hmm. So the Patreon um, we're trying to uh, bring people a little bit of extra stuff that we hadn't done before. In addition to um, you get to see articles, uh, you know, two weeks before everybody else, like usually mm-hmm. we push them out to the main site after two weeks, but we have an exclusive to Patreon, um, newsletter right now it's monthly but we're we're hoping to uh you know if if demand calls for it and i hope it will uh make it more frequent uh mm-hmm. mary Kay mcbrayer who um hosts an amazing podcast called we are going to kill you i think i'm getting the title of it right mm-hmm. um she does she kind of curates this like all the coolest like uh books um in heart in the horror genre it's like basically like shutters the bite but it's kind mm-hmm. of our version Okay. And uh, yeah, all kinds of all kinds of fun stuff. I won't go on and on, but we have a lot. Well, of cool- I, I will tell you right now. I will edit everything about your Patreon out because only one Patreon can be pitched. <laughs> only only one. Only one Patreon can be pitched on the show, and it's ours. Damn it! So, <laughs> what are the what are the what are the levels of that? Do you have like multiple tiers? No, or just it- one 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 price. Mm-hmm. You know. And, and you can still read stuff on Daily Grindhouse if you don't subscribe. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we just give, you know, there's, there are some, there are enough exclusives, hopefully to make mm-hmm. it worth it. And the idea is, is to support these uh, hardworking and talented people that, that mm-hmm. work so hard to, to entertain. But and what would, what would you say, like who would daily for listeners who aren't reading Daily Grindhouse, you have like, you know, <laughs> Brent Gallman is a fantastic writer. Yes. Uh, I oh know my like, God. Mike Vanderbilt has written for your site yeah. <laughs> uh, for years now. Um, so you've assembled this like really good crew of writers yeah. over there. What would you say like, because it's not strictly a horror site. I would call it more, it falls under the umbrella of like what I would call like weirdo cinema. Like, um, and I mean that in the most yeah. complimentary way. Um, <laughs> but what would you say, like who would you say like D- the Daily Grindhouse would appeal to? Uh, like I, I, you know, I would say midnight movies. I would say people who love movies so much that you've been watching movies like since the evening. Like maybe I, I always say, um, for we start at Forty Second Street in Manhattan, mm-hmm. right? But we'll go uptown to like Lincoln Center to see the, you know, to see the, um, uh, you know, old black and white films mm-hmm. or like the new art films, or we'll we'll go downtown to the, you know, Angelica and see like the new indie thing. You know, like our main beat mm-hmm. is. 42nd you know the old school 42nd mm-hmm. with the exploitation movies um but since i've been running it we kind of venture into like all kinds of like film noir from the 40s and mm-hmm. you know I, I i love spaghetti western so that's on there but 
obviously a stand like a ton of horror a ton of horror and you're right like brett is just like i mean we have so many like stephanie crawford like just amazing mm-hmm. amazing writers who just are so well versed in like all genres but obviously a lot of us tend to gravitate towards horror but yeah. uh, you know we do like uh, martial arts mm-hmm. films and like i said spaghetti westerns are kind of my mm-hmm. weird passion Your bag so yeah, thanks. like I, I, yeah, I just wanted to have a place. Sorry, I just wanted to have a place where like people can kind of follow their passions, and it's it's less of a film criticism site than a site for enthusiasts. Like mm-hmm. I love like when writers write about like what do you love and why, and tell people so we can share it with you. Like that's yeah. the basic thing. So excellent. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate it, and definitely you're welcome back on. And if any of the other crew from Daily Grindhouse wants to come on um send them our way like they can find us and where can our listeners find you uh over on social media oh i'm uh i'm john zilla j-o-n-z-i-l-l-a and then three underscores like godzilla's tail because i'm cute like that so you want no one to find you basically it's what yeah i'm i'm not that's you know it's a great point i'm always like why don't i have more of a twitter following and it's like well there's a ton of john zillas in the world and they (laughs) all have varying amounts of underscores Mm -hmm. minus three underscores but um daily grindhouse Mm -hmm. at daily grindhouse is i'm i'm there so you can find me or mary beth mcandrews there absolutely thank you so much and from (laughs) scarred for the scarred for life podcast correct or am I thinking uh, of the oh wrong yeah, yeah uh, uh, her pod, uh, uh, yeah, her and um, uh, uh, Terry, right? Terry, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another terrific podcast. Yes, um, yes, yes, awesome. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, and I know we we need to get Mary Beth on the show. It's someone yeah, had Terry a few times now, so she's the I, best. Yeah, we're sick of Terry. We don't. We want Mary. Yeah. Beth he's, a, he's the best too. But yeah, but she's a wonderful human being. Well, we're tired of him, and we would rather have Mary Beth. <laughs> She's great. She's so fun yes. to talk to. Yeah. Um, so Jerry, what of your million projects do you want to tell us about right now? What can you reveal? What are you working Jesus on? Jesus right Christ, now? man, it has been wild. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know how much I, I'm going to be able to get involved with the script reading that we have planned based mm-hmm. on, I mean, I, I find out this week if I'm scoring a feature uh, mm-hmm. and if, if I do get, if I do have the job, I have to jump into it like immediately because it already has distribution and a mm-hmm. bunch of other stuff. Uh, but other than that, I'm, I'm moderating three, uh, actually four upcoming live panels for Dread Central mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks that I would love people to check in and, and check out their, their live. Uh, the next one is this Wednesday. I'm moderating a reunion for Texas Chainsaw three, mm-hmm. uh, with, cool. uh, Jeff Burr, William Butler, Kate Hodge. Uh, on the 26th, I'm moderating a panel having to do with horror soundtracks, which with the composer of like Hereditary and a bunch of others. Uh, the week of Halloween leading into the week after, I'm moderating a uh, Q&A with uh, the creative team and cast a bit. Uh, so Brad Elmore, uh, Nicole Maines, uh, James Paxton. Uh, yeah, I have, I have a lot of panels with Dread Central coming up. So if, if you want to check them out, that'd be cool. I just had a really cool interview with Barbara Crampton drop on Dread, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I'm super, super stoked on that. Uh, that. That's pretty much it. Excellent. So for listeners, here's what we have going on right now, heading into the weekend of Halloween. Um, this weekend, which is as we are recording this, we are a few days ahead right now, which is unusual for us, to be honest. Um, 
But coming up on Saturday the 24th, we are, a bunch of us are finally going to get together, get very drunk, and read the unpublished script for Dennis Etchison's take in Halloween 4. And <laughs> essentially, I'm doing this because, like, I miss talking and seeing to people that... Um, at this point, and these are always fun for me to do. So I am strong arming people into joining us for this one. Um, and I'm really excited for some of the people that have signed on so far. We are gonna record that and then that is gonna go live on um, Halloween, probably at midnight. Later Halloween day, we're gonna be dropping a bonus episode which is just going to be last year, my daughter and I did a commentary for Shaun of the Dead together, which oh. was a lot of fun. Um, you know, Ada, I think you guys have enjoyed hearing my 10 year old talk about her thoughts on all the Elm Street movies. Um, she really loved Hubie Halloween. And to be fair, so did I. Yeah. Um, and she's like, Dad, can we like, she kept asking, like, are you going to do Hubie Halloween? Are you going to do, and you finally realize what she's saying is like, can I talk to you about Hubie Halloween on your show? So her and I are going to do like an hour long, like breakdown of what I think is like a perfect family Halloween movie. And I'm really looking forward to doing that. So that's going to be Ader and I, that'll be like noon Halloween. Like that'll come out. Um, other things we have planned, like our Patreon this month, we've already posted one of the two bonus shows. So our 976-6-Evil slash what are we watching right now, that is currently up. Any of our Patreons, $2 or above, you have access to that. The original idea for our second Patreon was going to be um, The House on Haunted Hill, the 1999 remake of the Vincent Price film. My Blu-ray has not arrived yet from Shout Factory and I can't get tracking. And I think they're a little backed up with everything going on. So I need to reach out to Jerry and BJ and see what we wanna do. If we wanna pick a different movie, push that one back, but we will um, have a second Patreon episode uh, that will go up for our listeners no later than Halloween day. Somehow, some way we'll find a way to get one up. Um, and that's really it right now. You can follow us over at Pod and the Pendulum over on Twitter. Please, wherever you're getting your podcast, rate, review, and subscribe to us. We got a bunch of really nice reviews lately. It really helps people find the show. It helps the quote unquote algorithm with Apple. I don't know how it does, but it puts more eyeballs on us. And like the show keeps growing, it's kind of bananas to me that. Um, people like multiple times a month want to know what the hell we think about movies like that still kind of blows my mind <laughs> so weird right? Um, but like I was looking today and like we've already with like 12 days left or 13 days left in the month we have um, well ahead of like where we did all of last October um, and a lot of that's just been a word of mouth from you our listeners and helping like it really like warms my heart when I'm like, someone's like, what are you listening to right now? And a bunch of you chime in and like recommend our show to others. Um, that means a lot to us. So especially right now um, that can just say that really means a lot to us. So we'll be back. I don't quite know what the next regular episode is yet. 
if we're going to jump in right into the Nightmare on Elm Street remake or if we're going to do something in between that right now. So, but that will wrap up our Elm Street series minus some of the bonus interviews we did. Uh, but that's it. Everyone, have a great Halloween week. Have a really happy Halloween. Um, if you can't trick or treat, buy yourself On my a feet. giant. <laughs> shaking my head buy yourself a giant bag of candy give yourself some diabetes sit down watch some scary movies and have some fun all right in the meantime stay tuned for a little bit more after this break as jerry and i are bringing you an interview with writer of hellfest seth m sherwood hello I was in there. Ah! It's just an actor. They mess with everyone. Hey, listeners. Welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering every single horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. But once again, uh, this month, we are taking a break from the franchises and having just some good old-fashioned spooky fun with some October favorites, both old and new. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we feeling tonight? Feeling pretty good. Really good. Uh, you know, we already recorded our episode on this film, so, you know, we always try to give people something extra, mm -hmm. uh, which sounds like a weird, like sexual thing but yeah anyways uh, it yeah, is so it absolutely it is. is it really is no but we wanted to get someone involved with the film and who better than uh the writer or one of the writers uh seth sherwood who also you know anyone that knows me uh knows that i'm a huge fan of the prequel leatherface and he also wrote that too so we're really stoked to have him on the show what's up seth hey how's it going thanks for having me welcome on board yeah. man welcome on board thanks for joining us tonight and like I said before we recorded, thank you for saving me the hellscape of not watching the debate tonight and giving me something <laughs> oh, I'm sure we can find something to debate about that'll get you just as worked up. Oh, fantastic. All right. So, yeah, I mean, jumping right in, you know, the production of Hellfest, I mean, it's just as crazy as the movie itself. I mean, you know, it went through Neil Marshall and other people. I remember the first time that you and I talked about it, Seth, was when Jennifer Lynch was signed on to be a yeah. part of it. I, you know, I'm curious, like, at what point did you come into the project? And with all these different creative types being involved, did the tone and everything else change from the time that you were on till the time that it kind of came out? Um, I'll answer the second part first. Luckily, no. A lot of what I put on the page made it to screen, um, which is why I, I'm so happy with how the movie came out. Um, but yeah, there were, there were a lot of people involved, both directors and writers, um, for a long, long ass time. Um, you know, it's just one of those ideas that I think everybody's had, but it's also one of those ideas that is really hard to crack to do, to get it right. And, you know, if anyone who's watched has looked at the credits, you know, there's a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of writers listed and most of the writers, uh, had written, drafts that for whatever reason didn't work, not because they were good or bad, but just because in terms of budget, in terms of location, in terms of what directors wanted to do, there was, um, it just never, it could never quite line up and, and make it all the way through. 
and um, Jennifer Lynch was signed on to direct. And I think, I'm not sure, 100% sure, but I think before me, one of the problems was is there was sort of an overlap between writers and directors where it had been written on spec by the original writers. And then a director came on, wanted to change it. And then a new writer was hired to do that director's changes, but then that director left. So there's sort of this like hopscotch of writer, director, writer, director. And at some point they decided they needed a clean slate. They were just keeping the base concept, but they wanted to start over from scratch from everywhere else. And they hired Jennifer and they hired me at basically the same time. And she and I holed up in a hotel room in New York and, you know, figured out what we wanted to do. I wrote the first couple drafts. It finally got greenlit. And then she started having a schedule conflicts because she does crazy amounts of uh, TV directing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and she had to leave. And then um, I was still contracted for one more draft. And uh, that's when Greg Plotkin, who's a friend, uh, he came on to direct it. And I did the draft with him uh, with all his notes because every director has, you know, their vision. You got to kind of have to hone it down for them. And then that was the one that went off to be financed and to be shot. And then after me, <clears throat> uh, Blair Butler and Akela Cooper both came on at different periods to do uh, the kind of tweaks you do once you've actually made your budget and you're about ready to start shooting, which is adjustments for cast and dialogue. They decided to age the characters up. I had originally written them in high school. Um, but ultimately what, what they did were, was, was great work. So I'm, you know, I don't feel like it's any less of my child than it was when I, when I you know, was done with it. And then weirdly I came back on after them when we were doing reshoots because we decided we wanted a new ending. So it came back to me at the very end and I you know, wrote the, 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 the third act of it um, you know, a couple months before it came out. <laughs> what was the yeah, crazy one of the things I think that really elevates the film is that last the coda to the movie where you have like a seemingly like normal middle class dad greet his daughter. And it's almost like this very <laughs> not even almost it's a very tender, loving moment that is just, you know, offset by everything we had seen before it. Um, when did that idea hit and what was the original ending for the film? Um, the, we were always sort of beating around that idea. What, we always knew that the other, which is what we always called him, the idea was that one of the characters even says it, um, you know, like, like uh, Quinn and Taylor are saying this when they're going into the park, is that, you know, this Halloween's the night where, you know, the people let their freak flag fly or whatever it is. And that was always, we always wanted to imply this idea that like this was just some normal dude. And this is the one night a year he let, you know, he let the monster out. And, you know, he wants people to be afraid of him. And if people aren't afraid of him, especially girls, then he, you know, does something about it. And we had that idea from the start um, and that survived through all the drafts. The ending that's on screen is actually like sort of a combination of things. Um, we always had the idea of him going home uh, to the daughter, it was in, it was out, it was shot a few different ways at a few different times. Uh, Greg, the director of Plocket, he actually had the idea of um, sort of the souvenir locker with the masks from all his previous Halloweens. That was a separate ending. And I don't know who it was, I think it actually may have been Gail, um, Gail Ann Hurd, uh, some sort of you know conversation between her and Greg that decided like, well, what if we cut between the three different endings that we have and sort of made a super ending of it? like 
the very first ending, we didn't see anything more from him. And it was just the girls sort of sitting mm -hmm. there in shock. And then, you know, we, <laughs> he had died in that version, he was dead. And then they shot the bit with the guy going home to the kid. And then they added the bit with the souvenir locker. And then when you put those all together and then we sort of just 80 yard in the police woman off camera saying there's nobody there. And they start freaking out. And just, you know, it was just this combination of all the all the good ideas at once. And it actually, you know, sort of worked out. It um, works. It works. It's in A Nightmare on Elm Street is my favorite, one of my favorite horror movies <laughs> of all time and my favorite franchise. But I know that, like, they definitely smushed three different endings together. And it's debatable how effective they are. But I thought in this case, like, each of those endings you described definitely complement one another in a way that the final result, like it definitely elevates the movie. Oh, thank you, yeah. I mean, once, it's just kind of, it is kind of a horror movie thing, you know, it's it's Jason jumping up and grabbing Alice out of the boat. It's it's Carrie's mom's hand punching mm -hmm. up, under, you know what I mean? Like, we kind of like to do that in horror where, you know, mm -hmm. we're done with the movie and the story's over, but, you know, mm -hmm. we'll just throw in this little thing that maybe we'll pick up on, maybe we'll yeah. So you leave scared. <laughs> but I think what's wonderful here is instead of being this kind of sting or like jump scare moment, it's a much quieter. Um, it's a lot more unnerving just because of the normalcy of it. I really think that works. It really well, works. It's a jump scare heavy movie. Yeah. Not because I love jump scares, because that's just the nature of going to like a haunted house or, you know, haunted theme mm -hmm. park. And that's what we are playing with is like what's real and what's not. So it would have felt almost like cheating at the very, very end to do to do like a jump scare, to like do mm -hmm. it sort of understated and real seemed like the way to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, you had worked with Greg previously on Black Mass, right? Yeah, I don't know if anybody's ever seen it. I haven't even seen it. It's, it's an, um, it's a short, it's, it's yeah. Oculus. You have to have an Oculus headset to watch it. Um, and having like, oh, good. I was just gonna say like, I, I, I just because I'm the nerd I am, uh, the new Star Wars game, the, the simulate flight simulator one, like I'm finally gonna buy an Oculus to play that game so I can finally go and watch that thing that we mm -hmm. shot like seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. You know, having worked with Greg already, I mean, was it kind of cool to come into the project and work with someone that you kind of had that rapport with already? Yeah, he and I have actually worked together multiple times. It just hasn't always happened. We made that short. Um, before that, we had a we had a movie that we were that we had in development at Blumhouse that I had written that he came on to direct, and we did a bunch of passes at it and was developed a long way. And then there were uh, you know producers that left uh, that were sort of championing the project, so it ended up just sort of like falling by the wayside. And but we had had such a good time working together that he immediately brought me on to the Black Mass thing. And you know I'd even way back in the day I'd pitched to write. Uh, the paranormal uh, movie that he directed. I was one of the writers up for that and had conversations with him. And I didn't I did ultimately get that job, but like he and I had been, you know, it's been years for us to like find a thing to like do together. We have a good rapport. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you mentioned watching the film and you see the credits and there's a lot of people listed as writing and stuff. And I, I think if there's anyone that kind of knows that a writer gets kind of thrown to the wolves if something does work or, or if it doesn't work or you know when you have multiple writers no one really pays attention to who wrote what does work I mean coming into something that had been through a, a few people uh I mean do you feel like a sense of ownership over how it turned out or is it 
I, you know, I mean, like with, with Leatherface, I mean, that, you know, having read the script, the script was very different, you know, those early drafts and what ended up on screen, you know, if it didn't resonate with people, it seems like the first person they come after is the writer, not knowing that it goes through different creative stuff. But with Hellfest, yeah. you know, like you said, it had gone through other people for one reason or another, it didn't work. So you came on board and tried to like, you know, revamp it. Uh, you know, how do you feel about that, that whole kind of the writer being the focal point of what doesn't work more than what does? It's, it's frustrating because a lot of the way, the way the business works oftentimes is that a writer is hired and, you know, most, most deals are like steps. You do a first draft, a second draft, and a third draft. And once you've reached that third step, if the producers or the director or the studio, whoever still isn't happy with it, they think since you've exhausted your steps, oh, this person can't crack it. So we have to bring another out. And that's happened so many times across the entire industry over decades that now it's almost become sort of like part of the process. It's like, it's like they just expect to bring another writer on later in the day. And then, and then, you know, there's also lots of cases where the script is decent, but then they'll bring on like a fancy writer to like punch it up and they mm -hmm. end up sharing credit too. You kind of have to accept in my in my role in my career that at some point I'm going to be rewritten, and at some point I'm going to rewrite somebody else. Neither one feels good, but it's just sort of the nature of the beast, unfortunately. Um, in the case of Leatherface, it's mostly me. I mean, I wrote wrote that entire movie. There were just you know the directors had a very heavy vision, and they they mm -hmm. they. they did a lot of things visually and editorially, like outside of the script on their own. And, and the studio had a lot of notes, which you know I wrote, but they weren't saying, I wanna say I wrote them under protest, but it wasn't how I had originally. Yeah. But, I'm, but I'm a team player and I want them with the movie to get made. I don't, I don't dislike the movie by any means, but yeah, it was very different from, very different and yet not from the first script I wrote. Um, with Hellfest though, like, yeah, there were writers before me, but I was basically given a clean slate. I was doing a page one rewrite. The, like, mm -hmm. the only thing that was carrying over was like, you know, serial slasher, serial killer at a haunted theme park go. So I didn't, you know, it was pretty much, you know, I could start from scratch and do, do what I wanted to do. And even though there were writers after me, they were working on top of the script that I had written so I don't have, I mean, I do, I do feel ownership of it. I'm happy to share it with them too. Kayla and Blair both did really awesome stuff and they're both super cool people and um, we're friends um, with Blair especially. And so, you know, I think that um, <clears throat> we can share it. We're fine. We're totally fine sharing mm -hmm. it. And okay. I see one of them getting, you know, congratulated for writing it. And I, you know, feel like that's, you know, I take that for myself as, as well. Not vocally, I'm not saying, hey, I wrote it too. I'm just saying like, when somebody on Twitter says to Akela, hey, this movie's awesome, then you know, I can feel good about that mm -hmm. and sharing it with her is, 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 is awesome because they work really hard too. When, when CBS Films and Lionsgate first envisioned Hellfest, they envisioned it as something that they couldn't make like another franchise, like something where you could have yearly, at least that's what I had read, where you have these yearly entries into it, much like you know, Lionsgate had wrapped up the Saw films by that point, but they were a staple from like 2004 to 2009. Yeah. Um, Paranormal Activity was kind of winding down, I guess, by the time this had got, by the time this was 
um, really getting going, but you had had like the first four films in particular um, had all done extremely well, especially considering for how little they were made for. When you're brought in after like the first draft of it is kind of like put to the wayside, what sort of added pressure or considerations does that add to you when you're like, okay, this is going to be like the first chapter in what's going to could possibly be like a yearly thing. Uh, you know, I, um, I tried not to think about it too much, to be honest, just because I, I don't want to, I don't want to plan beyond my means. I, I mean, my, my, my goal is to make like, I love, you know, I love superhero movies as much as everybody else, but I, I just, I hate it when they, spend at least you know a third of their time setting up something else that not yeah. that's not going to be in this movie and I, I think that like franchises are great and they're super fun but you got to focus on the one you're making and make sure it delivers by itself you know as it as its own complete and finished story and you know we had a deeper mythology we had bigger ideas but in the end we just we didn't we thought it was just watering it down and, uh, you know, that, that souvenir box with the other masks from previous years, to us, that's what that was. That was saying, hey, look, there's other stories. We could go back in time and do, you know, Hellfest year zero, like the first time we did it. You know, we could go next year. We could wait a couple of years. Like, it's, it's there. Like, if we wanted to do it, it's there. But that doesn't have to affect this movie in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it came out, uh, Hellfest came out, and it made, you know, roughly around three times its budget and stuff. Uh, you know, maybe not as well as the studio had hoped, and it kind of put the brakes on any sequels and stuff. But that said, I mean, there's been like a really good following uh, word of mouth for this movie. I mean, as the years go on, I mean, just in the last couple of years, a lot of people have really discovered this film and really loved it. And when we were recording the episode on the film, one of the things that uh, Mike and I and also our guest really, really said that we loved about the movie is that and this might be a reason that maybe a lot, not a lot of people went to see it, unfortunately, is that when it came out, you know, not only was it kind of right around the time that Halloween came out, but also there was just a lack of fun horror around that time. And that's what Hellfest really is. You know, we like I mentioned that the, the flip side, the B side to Hellfest to me is Haunt, which is a much more serious kind of darker yeah. take on the thing. But Hellfest is pure fun. It's 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 a throwback to you know the Fun House or films from like that era where you go in and you're expecting just to be entertained and having a really fun time. Do you think that maybe kind of hurt the film a little bit because people just didn't know to expect that kind of movie? Um, I hope not because that's kind of. I mean, I know I've had this conversation with you before, Jerry. I know you don't like uh, you're not a Scream fan, but to me. Like, you know, when I was younger, like that was <laughs> that was to me like what horror movies were. It was me and my friends either having a sleepover or sneaking into an R-rated movie. And, you know, we're laughing, even if it's not a fun one, we're laughing to keep ourselves from being scared. And it was mm-hmm. all about like the fun group experience. And I have like, you know, Leatherface is pretty dark, but most of my my original stuff, my spec stuff. I've been trying, I've been on this one man mission to bring back fun horror for years. I mean, I love Blumhouse. I love the Blum model. I, you know, I've almost worked with them multiple, multiple times. Um, but like, I love like, you get your, I mean, you know, I think they, they, they're hitting on, they hit on it with The Purge and they super hit on it now with a Happy Death Day and Freaky. 
I think that like, you know, whether it, I'm not saying it has to be PG-13, it definitely can, but it doesn't have to be. But the idea of being with your friends and laughing as much as screaming and it becoming like a group experience is a huge thing for me. And, you know, I think that, I don't think that's, I don't think that hurt it. I honestly think that like, you know, CBS Lionsgate just didn't have a marketing push for it. Like, you know, a week before it came out, I went to look at the IMDb page and it was skinned in ads for, for Halloween for Mike Myers. Like you can't, that movie had like a $40 million marketing budget. You can't compete yeah. with that. And like that, you know, it was, it was, it's not that we were necessarily in direct competition because I mean, people will stack up their scary movies, but like, you know, everyone who has come up to me or sent me an email about it saying, I love it. I just, I didn't know it existed. Um, which is kind of a running theme through most of my work through like my TV work and, <laughs> and Leatherface to some extent is like, people like it, but not enough people are seeing it. I secretly hope that in 10 years, Hellfest will be like what Trick or Treat is now, where, you know, it's, it's sort of just become this cult juggernaut that every year picks up a little momentum as a, you know, a seasonal favorite. So on that, along those lines of making it like a fun horror movie, one of the things I really appreciate about the film is the characterization, like this group of six friends, because I really enjoyed spending time with them. And I'm long um, a proponent of, or long been critical of movies that simply create characters that you root to get killed and you root for the bad guy. Because yeah. I think the best horror movies, your Halloweens, your Nightmare on Elm Streets, really the whole Elm Street series, uh, bar the remake, I, you see yourself in those characters and you want to spend time with them. And yes, like you enjoy the kills, but at the same time, you feel a little bit bad as well. Talk to me a little bit about what went into crafting likable characters. And I think, because <laughs> um, I think that's a really hard thing to do now in horror. I think it becomes easy to go the opposite route. Um, oh, yeah. Talk to no, me like- I, I, I totally identify with that. I mean, I, I remember being, heartbroken in uh in uh elm street four when all the all the dream warriors got killed in the first act right i hated that i was so mad um i think that you know i'm i'm definitely a genre writer but i've never i've always been i've always tried to tell character stories even like even leatherface i tried to make each one of those kids interesting in a different way i just don't that's just how i i like movies. If I don't give a shit about the people in the movie, like I'm not invested. And you know, I, I, I a lot of people don't like Taylor in Hellfest. They think she's too annoying. Um, I think she's fun, and I think, I think that uh, she, you know, yeah, she walks the line. She did. <laughs> you know, yes. yes. And I mean that in a complimentary way. Like she walks right up to that line and then redeems herself. Well, what's but, funny is when we recorded the episode, Taylor was the character that us and our guests were talking about how uh, Taylor was unfairly put on in that kind of Shelly box, you know, like <laughs> I like that character. It what's what's funny is that um, when I had written it um, in my, in my, in my first draft, that Taylor was meant to be a lesbian. And um, I believe, I think, I think Bex has, has come out as non-binary now, but at the time, like, that was part of the reason why they were cast. And then when it was shifted to being a, a, a straight character, um, 
Beck still embraced it and said, like, like, you know, I've always wanted to play like a slutty girl in a horror movie. So they still have like a shit ton of fun, of, of fun with it. Um, so I will always argue with people who thought that Taylor was annoying. What? <laughs> um, What's... But, I, but, but yeah, to me, it's, it's just like, if I don't like the characters and I'm not like invested in some little part of them, like, mm -hmm. you know, like to me, the heart of Hellfest is the awkward romance. Mm -hmm. Like that's what makes it to me. And I have to give credit to Kayla and, and Blair for bringing that out and making it much better mm -hmm. um, and, um, and creating it the way they did. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you don't like them, then like I, I'm, I'm just not interested. So I don't know how to, yeah. I don't know how to write a story where there, where I don't do that. Well, I think of Natalie in particular. She easily could have been portrayed as like a wet blanket. Like I don't really like all this stuff. I don't really want to do it. And she could complain the whole time. I shared a story of like going with another couple to an outdoor haunted house, and one of the partner people just tromping through it the whole time and like putting their head down and trudging through and not in just like, we're going to get through it as fast as we can and how it kind of ruins, ruins the experience. And what I really liked about Natalie was how she was at least open and she was like, okay, this isn't my favorite thing, but okay, this was still pretty cool. And then when it got to be too much for her, her friends being like, okay, we're going to, you know, and that's what friends do. Like that's what you would hope a good friend would do as opposed to like them creating this like, false friction between them yeah I, th I think you know gaslighting your final girl and telling her there's nothing to be afraid of is a thing we've seen you know plenty of in, in, mm -hmm. in horror films and I think that you know at, at some point I can't remember at this point what stage it was the idea that like the friends were like okay you're you're scared you're done cool we'll we'll, we'll leave let's find everybody and let's go and there's still a good 40 minutes of the movie when they get to that point. It's just that shit happens to keep them from leaving. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, you know, I think that there was a lot, we talked a lot about like at what point, half the fun is like, you know, you don't know, is this a scare or is this real? But at some point we need to tip it over, otherwise that's gonna get boring. And that was our answer to like, once we tip it over, we'll be like, okay, cool. The friends don't necessarily believe her, but they're willing to go. So we give that, you know, her, her fear weight. And at this point, we know as the audience that it's legit because we've seen enough kills. Mm -hmm. um, and then you just got to like, you know, screw up their plans in other ways. Um, did I answer the question? I can't remember. The it question. did. No, that's perfect. <laughs> Actually, I want to um, just circle back to something you said about Miss um, Bex's character in that she was originally written, you know, as a lesbian character. And then it sounds like the studio notes were, no, she has to be straight. What sort of disappointment do you feel? Not just because you have to change a character, but because, you know, it's 2018 when this movie comes out and <clears throat> we still feel like, it would be controversial to have like a queer character as one of the leads. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the I don't know if the studio fully chickened out or if it was just the story shifted to being. I mean that 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 decision made when I was uh, off making light as a feather. Mm -hmm. So I, and and you know the and Akela and Blair had had to field that. So I couldn't say exactly what was behind that decision. Mm -hmm. I don't think that. Um, Representationally, it would have been awesome. It would have been mm -hmm. cool for there to be a lesbian character. I personally like, uh, you know, I mean, as a cis, white, straight male, obviously this is my problem to solve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm the expert, no, um, I'm, I'm full of shit. 
the representation would have been cool, wasn't my call. But at the end of the day, like the 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 awkward romance is in there. Mm-hmm. And I do think that, that is universal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, I've had a lot of lot of friends tell me that when they look at Taylor, they're like, oh, she's bi, or oh, she doesn't know she's lesbian. Like, like, and whether that that's that's Bex's performance or Bex's own personality like bleeding through. I don't know that people, you know, if people want to buy her as completely straight, they can. A lot of people don't seem to and almost, you know, can enjoy that it's coded to some extent because her boyfriend is like the most like masculine dude you could possibly like <laughs> go for. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it, you know, I, I, I go both ways. I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't want to second guess why that decision was made and it's a bit of a bummer, but at the same time, I, I don't dislike what we ended up with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like having taken on, you know, Leatherface in one of the most iconic horror franchises around, you know, there's an automatic, you know, there's, it's, it's an, it's an IP. It's a property that, that comes with fans, you know, but mm-hmm. I mean, as someone who helped like just manifest Hellfest, Hellfest from when you came on board all the way until it came out. And, you know, you said you do feel a sense of ownership. How does it feel to have like trick-or-treat studios make masks for a film that you wrote? You know, it, it's it's not like a Michael Myers mask. You know, the mask they made wasn't Leatherface. It, it wasn't like, you know, this holy trinity of, of yeah. slasher icons that, that, you know, fans already have. This is something that you helped build. I, I can't imagine how great that must feel. It's pretty cool. I mean, I don't get, I'm not getting any merch royalties. So, you know, that would be super cool. <laughs> uh, but, but no, it's, it, it, it is fun. And I, I think I remember the, the first time I saw um, somebody on DeviantArt did like this, this fan art that was like, like all the famous slashers as kids. And for Leatherface, they use, you know, the, the, the kid from the beginning Leatherface with like the pig head. And I got really excited that, you know, that like, that fan art existed for something that I made up. So, you know, in licensed stuff, that's, I mean, yeah, it's cool. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna be bitter about it. I mean, it would be cooler if it was, you know, as he was as easily identified visually as Mike Myers or Jason, but, you know, but I'm not gonna complain. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> um, what did, you know, knowing the setting of Hellfest, so you have this like haunted theme park, I guess, number one, like, what are some of the attractions that inspired you? Because uh, obviously, in non-COVID years, one of our favorite things to do <laughs> is basically spend our weekends getting the shit scared out of us by sure. people at all of these places. Um, what, what were some of the attractions that kind of, like, inspired you that you wanted to add? And, like, what sort of... Um, what sort of like kid in the candy store ideas that you have that maybe didn't get to make it into this movie? <laughs> um, I can answer that one. There was there was one that um, I wanted to. It's funny because I have to like basically I, in my head I had to sort of make up a theme park, and then on top of that make up what the horror overlay was for it because you know it's like it's it's not Fairy Farm versus not Scary Farm, mm-hmm. and so like I had this idea of like there being like some stupid woodland like log flume ride you know that goes through that goes through nature but then it's reskinned for Hellfest being like a scary ride and I had that I, I didn't even make it to my first draft I had that in an outline and Galen Heard was like what the fuck are you doing no water rides like this is this will be like a nightmare 
Those are the expenses of his shit. Um, I also had like, I also wanted to do like a, a funhouse mirror maze and have one of the kids get like pushed through the glass and get all cut up. And like, that was just gonna be a nightmare to shoot because of all the mirrors. So they just, they, they were like, this will take us a week to shoot. So it's just mm-hmm. not worth it. Um, and then- That's God. weird because there are so many like fun, whenever you see a fun house in a horror movie, like they go to the right to the hall of mirrors. It's weird. I, I know, I, I mean, we didn't have a ton of shoot time mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to work with. And like, you know, we had a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, and, you know, the attraction sort of changed as time went on and things became available. Um, um, the first one they go to, uh, the, the, the deform, deformed school instead of reformed school, that was one of the first ones I came up with um, that made it through, and I loved that. And then actually what's really cool is the, the actual, like, you know, uh, dark ride they go on about halfway through, the night bumps ride, that was, like, fully built just for us like there that there's no track there's like a pa hidden behind that cart pushing it um just the fact that they made that whole thing was really super cool i just uh yeah i'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what else there was i mean it's it, it's for me it was you know when i moved here to la about 20 years ago i'd been to haunted houses before but i'd never been to anything like that and when i moved to la the first year i was here a friend took me to not scary farm and i was just like blown away by it it was like the most fun I'd ever had and it you know I still go every year well not not this year obviously but (laughs) other than this year you know it's still like a thing I do regularly with friends is to you know Universal does it not Scary Farm does it there's you know it's it's just you go through a haunted house a maze and you're out and you think you're safe and you're done but no you're not because then there's just monsters walking Mm -hmm. around too it just it just never it just never ends um Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, endlessly inspiring. And I'm not, and obviously I, I wasn't the first writer, but I think most creative people or even just fearful people are walking through any of those mazes and they were like, what would you do if one of these people was real? It's like a super basic idea that many people mm-hmm. have. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the last time that we talked, you mentioned that you were possibly getting ready to direct Boyfriend. Which, you know, as, as long as I've known you, you've always talked about wanting to, you know, get in there and, and direct a feature yourself and, and go in that direction. Uh, has COVID and this whole weird existence kind of uh, put the brakes on that a little bit? Or, or what's yes. going on with that whole thing? It has put a lot of brakes on it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, we're, I mean, we were already sort of in this, a little bit of a casting limbo in that we got the, the teenage girls, the they got them cast. We found, uh, I mean, just, I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know how much, I don't know how much people know about this movie. The basic pitch is an imaginary boyfriend, you know, comes to life and the teenage girls who are twins in the story, we found them, we got them cast. They're good to go. And in the script, I, I, I had this idea that like, I feel like in horror movies, the parents are always square, no matter when it takes place. And as I was writing this movie, I'm like, shit, I'm old enough that I could be the parent of these kids. My, my kid's 15. So I'm like, I could be old enough to be a parent and I'm not square. So I'm not gonna write square parents. So I wrote the parents in this movie to be really, really, really cool. Like so cool that it annoys their kids. That they're, that they're like, <laughs> like, are they in a two piece band that opens for the strokes? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, like there is a joke made about dad's ska band or whatever, you know, like oh, Jesus. Mom, mom, mom works in IT and has a sleeve you're, tattoo, you know, so like, 
That is so, no longer cool if he's in a ska band. Well, no, no, but I mean, like they're like, you know, 90s version of cool. And to that, yeah. what I really wanted to do was get kids from 90s horror films to be the parents. Like, what if the parents would play like Matthew mm. Lillard and Drew Barrymore or Nev Campbell and Skeet Ulrich? Mm. Like, that to me was like super fun. But because the twin girls that we cast are, they're, they're of a decent level of famous, they're, they're internet famous. Um, but the financiers want movie famous, you know, the, when you make a small movie, the financiers want guarantees. So the list of names that they had for guarantees for these adult roles and my desire to do that, those two things made a Venn diagram for a very short list of people. And then going to those list of people and them having the time to do it made it even like harder. And then COVID hits and everybody's schedule is sort of thrown into question and that sort of makes it impossible. Um, it's not dead, but you know, I'm very busy on other things because for the moment that can't, we can't really do anything with it mm -hmm. until stuff gets back to normal. How troubling is it right now where you have these things lined up and you're seeing like glow is canceled for, it seems like no other reason except that you couldn't get all of the performers back together at this point. And you're seeing shows that are either put on hiatus, like Mindhunter goes on hiatus because of contracts and other obligations. And now you throw COVID, everything seems to get shut down for a year at this point. Like, how are you adapt? Yeah. How are you adapting to that right now as a creative? Um, in terms uh, as a writer, it's, it's, I can, it could be a lot worse for me. Directors have it way worse than writers mm -hmm. do right now. Because the one thing that can happen right now is, is development. Um, I'm, do, I'm, doing, I'm doing a thing with Crypt TV. I'm working on a video game. I've got jobs um, and I've got job offers and I've got things I'm pitching on. Because people are basically just developing the shit out of like everything that they can get their hands on. So when, you know, production's picking up a little bit, a little bit here and there, slowly but surely. But once it really hits, everybody goes back to work, they want to be able to hit the ground running and have, you know, scripts stockpiled. Um, so there is, there is definitely work available. Now, if this continues, that development money will run out and then I'll be mm -hmm. screwed like everybody, <laughs> like everybody is else. There, I know that like, you know, as I, ask you this i know that like yesterday things like quibi was announced they're gonna shut yeah. their doors down after less than a year after like let's take two billion dollars in a pile and light it on fire and see what happens but you know it <laughs> does you know as an it, it was an interesting experiment and you've we've seen things like host this year um mm -hmm. gain like tremendous popularity um and we're also like Regal Theaters has shuttered their doors until at least April of next year. AMC yeah. said early on, like, we don't know if we're going to survive this. Um, are you seeing from the financiers, from production companies, this idea that like there may not be the cinema model that we have come to know um, as it existed pre-COVID and you're getting like calls for projects that are an alternative media or different ways of kind of, of, of scripting stories that aren't necessarily made for the big screen? Um, sort of, I mean, I think that, you know, people you still use the phrase direct-to-video as a pejorative. And I, mm -hmm. I think pretty much every horror movie I've seen in the last three years that was amazing, I saw for the first time on video at home. Mm -hmm. um, it's been a pipeline for horror you know, since the video was invented. And I think, you know, bad 
V-grade horror going direct to video in the 80s gave, created that ba bad connotation. But I mean, there's there's so much great content. I mean, like everything Shudder does, you know, like mm -hmm. an entire delivery, you know, content system dedicated to horror that comes out, you know, like, you know, sure they have old theatrical stuff, you know, from like years back that they have as their library, but like they put out new content constantly. Mm -hmm. And I think horror fans are probably the first people willing to give, you know, video on demand content a shot because it's, we've been fed our content that way for forever. Um, but now you have, you know, Disney announcing that like, they're going to shift their model to focus on streaming. That's like, mm -hmm. that's Star Wars, that's Marvel. That's the two biggest properties in Hollywood right now. And, you know, they're shifting over to, you know, doing these, um, for them, they're spending the same amount of money, if not less, to do like WandaVision or The Mandalorian. And special effects are getting so uh, cheap. Like, I don't know if you guys have watched, watched you know, sort of the making of The Mandalorian stuff. But yeah, the, yeah, the it's good. Tech they invented for that show is amazing. And like, that would work at a cinematic level, but like mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to. And they're finding, you know, there's no actors no longer see TV or streaming content as like, you know, a downgrade from right. movies. So you get, you know, you know, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie to be in Captain Marvel movies. And then yeah, they're cool. Yeah, we'll go do a TV show. We'll do like, you know, they're not doing like a 30 or like a 24 or 36 episode season on a right. network show that's going to take them their entire year. They're shooting like six to 10 prestige episodes that's gonna keep them busy just a little bit longer than a movie would, mm -hmm. and they've already got the built-in audience for it. So I think that, you know, COVID has just sort of shown the studios they can still make their money going the streaming route. And in, you know, and in a lot of cases, that is cheaper to produce because you don't, you're not worrying about, you know, the 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 fidelity of going to like a big screen necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, Plus, once you start shooting digital, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm a cinematography nerd, so I see a lot of movies that go directly to Netflix, and I and I think they don't they look terrible. I think they look like yeah. you know TV movies from the '90s, um, but you know, but most people aren't that discerning, right? So yeah, to answer your question, yes, I think that that's a direction we'll go. I feel like I don't know what's going to happen, of course, but I'm starting to feel like going to the cinema is going to becoming more become more of an event thing it's like you know spielberg and tarantino and nolan are the only guys that actually shoot film anymore mm -hmm. like kodak only makes film especially for them for their movies yeah. people just aren't doing it so it's it going to the movie theater might be like that it might be like you know oh my god it's a special event you get to see it big you know because you normally yeah. watch it in your home it feels like there'll be even more of a divide that it's really been heading for the past few years where you're going to have like, say, giant cineplexes that show nothing but massive blockbusters that have worldwide appeal oh, yeah. and those $20 million dramas that, you know, could do pretty well and have a, have a market, but they're not going to recoup like 10 times their budget. Like that's yeah. going to continue to get shifted to Amazon, to Netflix, absolutely, to all these like you know HBO Max, Time Warner is like we need content. I mean, oh, I think yeah. I read today they're throwing seventy million dollars at the Snyder Cut, which 
pardon me if I'm wrong, but I thought the Snyder Cut was an actual real thing that was supposed to be able to come out and not like you usually don't need $70 million for something that needs a couple little tweaks here or there. Yeah, no, that's, that's a re that's, they're just making a new movie. Yeah. And they're going to just use all the footage that he's going to, you know, mm -hmm. make a six hour justice league miniseries. that will still be a mess. Yeah. Um, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, and that's where it's going. And I can, I can like say, my God, this is a terrible thing. And it is, but at the same time, I don't like going to the fucking theater and being around people. Like I go to, <laughs> I go to the theater if I need to see a war movie right when it comes out and it's theatrical mm -hmm. or if it's a superhero movie <laughs> or a Star Wars mm -hmm. movie. It's a spectacle. I want to see big. Otherwise, right. like I am perfectly happy to watch it on my big ass TV yeah. without somebody chewing on popcorn behind me. Exactly. So, I we're all part of the problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think we're good. I think we co we covered a lot of bases. Like I wrote down so many things, and we covered every single one of them. I do have uh, to ask. Really, I mean, we, we don't have to leave this on the episode if you don't want, Seth. But I mean, dude, the first thing I read from you was Interstate Five. Yeah. And years later, like, what is going on with that? That's like, and I'm not just saying this because you know friends and stuff, but like. That's still one of my favorite scripts I've ever Thank read. You. Like, That's awesome. like, Thank you. No, it's 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 one of my favorites too. I mean, I think that it would be awesome. I've had it's been optioned multiple times. It's been almost made multiple times. Just you know, getting a movie made is hard. Like the fact yeah. that I've had like two movies made and like a few seasons of TV, I'm extremely lucky. I have friends who've been working in this industry for 15 years as writers and have never had anything produced. It is so hard to get things made. The amount of things that are put into development and written, and like you know, studios have so much money they don't care. They'll develop a movie, you know, for you know, bring a director on, hire a writer, go through multiple drafts. I'll spend half a million dollars, and then at some point be just like, eh, nah, this one's not going to happen, and just put it on the shelf and not care, because then they'll go and they'll make you know a Spider-Man movie and they'll make all the money back and recoup their cost. It's like a, it's a, it's you know, it's they develop 10 movies hoping that one will be a hit and that will cover all the development costs for all of them. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, what a model. I, that, that was one of the first, one of the first horror scripts I wrote. It's one of my favorite scripts of my own. If I had to like, you know, pick a favorite of my children. And, but at the same time, like that, that script got me on the blood list. It got me my manager who's gotten me all my other jobs that script specifically was what got me a general meeting with Millennium, which got me Leatherface. So it, that that script has, you know, paid me in dividends like over and over again, multiple times. Like it really sort mm -hmm. of started my career, even if it itself has never been made. Um, but people still ask about it and people still bring it up. When I go to meetings, they say, oh yeah, I read this year's deal, it was great. And I'll be like, awesome, cool. Why don't you want to make it? Um, <laughs> so I hear you. I, I would love for it to be made too, but you know, it it has served me well, even though it hasn't been made. Oh, totally. Awesome, man. Well, Seth, thank you so much for joining us. And I know we said like, yeah, you know, 15, 20 minutes that I think you gave us like almost an hour. So we yeah, appreciate that. That's all right, you. man. That makes yeah. our job. I got to tell you, like <laughs> this month, we have spoken to like more creatives and directors about their work. And I got to tell you, it makes our job so much easier because like we just throw 20, the WNUF out there. special. <laughs> oh man. And it's like, we get yeah. great content and like people don't have to hear our voices, which is wonderful. Um, 
So I think we need to shift what we do here. Right. Um, <laughs> but we really appreciate you coming on. When we eventually get to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, we'd love to have you back on to talk Leatherface. Um, I know like Jerry adores that movie and I believe his both adores the Blu-ray. So um, no, I we're got definitely- eight, I got eight mail for it too. It's, it's, it's pretty split, you know? Yeah. I got, I what do you, mm -hmm. what's <laughs> like, the best piece of hate mail that you've gotten? I mean, they're, they're usually all about the same. They're all just telling me like, you know, that I like, how could they, you know, how could I, someone who clearly doesn't know anything about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, write a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie and, you know, why I did it such a stupid thing and I have a stupid face and I hope they, you know, they want me to die because I ruined their life because they are into movies that much. And mm -hmm. every single one of them is like marginally literate and just you know, <laughs> like, it's, oh. I, I mean, if I, I mean, I, <laughs> if I was doing, if I'm doing my job, like with that movie, especially like I, I got that job because I pitched something out of the box because I knew there was already, you know, Platinum Dunes had already done a prequel to their remake. So there was already, there was already that. And like, it, I just knew that everybody else going up for that job, there's just an easy version of that movie where you're, you know, you just got, you know, Bubba, the little mutant kid, a little inbred mutant kid doing his weird thing as a little kid. And it's just such a straightforward base idea that I just, I'm like, everyone else is going to go in with this. So I need to do something different. And I just, you know, I had to make a choice and I made a choice knowing that like, it would probably split fans and some people would like it and some people would hate it. Um, but like, you know, that it, I just went out of the box and that's what got me the job. And, you know, that was the movie mm -hmm. that got made and love it or hate it, it exists. And you can say that about every Chainsaw movie. There's an, I guess there's, I just saw the, the poster <laughs> for the new one coming out. Not clear if that's a remake or a sequel or what that is. And I don't think they know. I it's it's another right yeah yeah it's it's another sequel to the original. <laughs> yeah. I think cool. this one's set in Wyoming. Um, it's just yeah, I don't know. Well, that's gonna. I mean, it's not Wyoming Chainsaw Massacre. What's no, happening? I'm, I'm See, joking. I'm doing the same thing. I'm yeah. like, how yeah. dare they make a bold choice when I like say mm -hmm. that's what that means? <laughs> Go to <Awesome>. Wyoming. <laughs> Well, listeners, we hope you have enjoyed our episode on Hellfest. Um, and if you haven't, this is free content. So why are you complaining? <laughs> um, go ahead and give us a follow over on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum. Um, as you know, we have our Patreon account, patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum gets you all our bonus content. Uh, and please rate, review, and subscribe to us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get Google pods, wherever you get your podcast, please review and please rate and please subscribe to us. Um, so this is our last official episode for the Halloween season, but there is still some time left in the spooky season. So here's what we have coming up. Um, Halloween day, I am going to be dropping two episodes onto our feed for some bonus content. Up first, um, this weekend, we are going to be recording a script reading of the unused Dennis Etchison script for Halloween 4. Um, there will not be a sober person on this. <laughs> okay. Um, I've already told all our performers, quote unquote, that if you take it serious, you will be hunted down and shot. 
but we but these tend to be not only a lot of fun, but our least downloaded episode. So I'm definitely looking forward to that for some bonus content. Also, um, the same day, I will be releasing a uh, will be a more like standard episode for us. Um, my daughter and I have both rewatched Adam Sandler's new Halloween classic, QB Halloween. <laughs> she has three pages of um, tightly scripted handwritten notes ready to go. Um, I have my own notes for it and we are going to be doing a dad and daughter. She wanted to do a commentary, but I, you know, it's not a movie that we know well enough to do a commentary on it. And it would just evolve into her telling me her Christmas list and me making fart (laughs) jokes for an hour and a half. Um, who needs that? So we're going to have like a, probably an hour long show on Hubie Halloween, which is a goddamn delightful movie friends and i would say do not sleep on it it is a fantastic family movie for the halloween season after that we'll be back to our standard fair and um yeah we got a lot of stuff coming up we're heading towards 100 episodes so um jerry do you have anything you want to pitch or promote uh i don't i just mostly have a lot of interviews coming out i have to uh jump on the phone with the boulet brothers on saturday which i'm really excited about uh other than that not too much same old same old all right we'll be back next week thanks for listening and wear a mask stay six feet apart and wash your hands i almost forgot that last one have a good night